Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Sunday, February 20th, 2022. Welcome to another episode of the Now Mind You podcast. I'm TJ. I'm Matt. And we got a doozy for you all today. Uh, before anything, of course, spoiler warning, once this episode drops, please be sure to check out the descriptions. Remember, we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, uh, wherever you can your find us, house. right? Your, your... <laughs> Sorry. We're keeping that in. We're keeping that in. We're starting <laughs> off this intro with this type of energy, but wherever. Right. But either way, check the descriptions. You know we timestamp it, so if there's a section you want to skip because you're not there yet, you do what you got to do. We've read it. We're not going to hold back. You know it's spoilers. So in terms of the manga docket for today, our manga roundup, we got Hajime no Ippo, Sakamoto Days, Kaiju Number 8. Uh, we also have Jujutsu Kaisen, My Hero Academia, and Dragon Ball Super. Unfortunately, there is no Ayashiman this week, but Ayashiman should come back next week. Combat Sports, we got the UFC in Vegas, and we got a few boxing promotions to cover as well. And of course, we're going to round it off with our topic of the week, which is what, Matt? Uh, favorite villain. Anime or manga, right? That's so, right. yeah, no, we got we got a bunch of you today. Let's not waste any more time. Let's let's get into it. Matt, you want to take it away with our boxing manga? All right. Yeah. So we're going to start out with Hajime no Ippo, chapter 1371. <clears throat> the chapter is entitled Advice. Um, pretty much we're still continuing with the fight between Daniel Garcia and Mashiba and things are really not going Mashiba's way, man. Mm -hmm. um, the swelling on his eye is getting bigger and he seemingly just cannot offer up any more offense uh, at this mid range. And Daniel Garcia is aware of the fact that he kind of has him hurt, but he knows that if he kind of tries to go in and break that, uh, break that mid range, that, he still has that uppercut waiting for him and he doesn't really have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. So he just decides that he'll just stay here. I mean, he's being successful, you know, blocking and countering so far. So, I mean, he was so successful with blocking and countering that even Miata was like, man, right. I might need to add that to my style, which right. I thought was crazy. Um, he keeps catching him. This is the second time they showed he catches him with that inside, like, right hook like on the inside of his hook it's insane yeah. um but he pretty much was helpless mm -hmm. um it was crazy just seeing mashiba be in a be in a position where he was helpless and he got hit so hard yeah his head snapped backwards yeah and he saw ipo yell to him <laughs> that he could still do it and it mm -hmm. pissed him off so much so that he was so <laughs> he was incensed to come back into the fight and um, <laughs> he just wanted to get some sort of advice. And he thought about it and he said advice. And I think he remembered what Ipo told him about how to get around that guard, what to do. And we see the last panel, though, it's just a panel, but shout out. You never know. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Mashiba's throwing that uppercut right up the middle, right to the body. So mm -hmm. based off that guard and if he throws that and it gets there how it should, that's about to be really bad because that's going to hit him right about in the solar plexus if he hooks that uppercut correctly. Like so, <gasps> yeah. He's going to deflate this guy, man. So yeah. let's see what's going to happen. Obviously, I want my boy Mashiba to pull through. I want him to get the belt. I mean, I want everybody to win, all yeah. of the characters, but I'm always pulling for Mashiba. Like, yeah. I'm not going to hide the fact that he's my guy. 
in this series. So I really want Mashiba to be able to pull through. How did you feel about this chapter? First of all, uh, is he the Vegeta of this series? Is that why you're pulling for him so hard? Is he the Vegeta? It's possible. Right? Right? I mean, it's... we. Matt and I are probably going to have to talk about this. Yeah, it's a similar relationship. Maybe, yeah. That's a good dynamic to bring up. Um, My thoughts on this chapter. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, Like, I I think you broke it down perfectly. Um, I agree, too. Like, it it was kind of a brutal watch, man. Like, that first half, because he kept on getting countered. Um, I thought, like, I thought you saying that Miata taking notes on it was crazy, uh, was hilarious. Because, like, when I read that, I was like, I started laughing. I was like, homie. I did, too. Damn. (laughs) Notes real quick. Like, um, he was like, damn, I should be getting his ass whooped. I actually yeah. could learn something from this. This yeah. is crazy. Like, it's like, is it made me think too, like, is Miata actually rooting for Mashiba in this case? Because you know, Mashiba like low-key did him dirty uh in their fights. So I don't know, maybe there's some pettiness uh going on there, but either way, uh Miata. All the children of the Ipo are friends. <laughs> right, right. That's all true. Ipo's sons are that's friends. True. That's true, that's true, that's true. Um, I thought the details on the artwork. Were crazy cool. Well, before I even go to the details, let me go back to the Miata thing too, because I also thought it was funny because of the uh, the juxtaposition of his reaction compared to Aoki and Kimura's and mm-hmm. Kibo's reaction, right? It's like, they're all like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? He's like, man, you know what? Let me add this to my arsenal. Um, hmm. But the details on the artwork were crazy cold, dude. I don't know if you were, you noticed, you probably did, but like even the way the sweat was drawn, right? Like yeah. in one of those uh, panels, I think I screen capped it. Um, and I'll send you, I'll send you the screen caps after we're done recording. Um, but like, even the way the sweat was drawn, the sweat was dynamic. And I was like, man, that's a, that seems like an insignificant detail, but it's like, that's a dope ass detail to add. Um, yeah, I think it's just really showing how entrenched within the fight that they yeah, are. I mean, it's, I agree. It, they deep in it, you know, they plus seven rounds into yeah. this fight and that's, like, you know, no that's a long time to fight. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I thought too, one of the panels, like where he's at the end of his rope, like before, like while his head is mid snapback, like I'd imagine if this is animated, it's going to get animated like slow-mo style. But mm-hmm. like when the panels like kind of black and he's like just in his head and he's like saying like, I want to win, I want to win. Somebody give me some advice, you know, like I feel like whether you are into the stand-up uh, combat sports or the grappling combat sports, whether it's in training or mid-match, I feel like all of us martial artists could relate to that, right? Like, yeah, I know, tell especially me what to in do. training, in training, right? Like, everybody's been in that position where you get pushed too hard. Even if it's, like, mid-match, right? You get pushed too hard, and you're just like, I still want to win, damn it. You know what I mean? Like, I still need, I need to find a way to win. Somebody just say something. Give me some. Just, you know what I mean? Like, help me win. And I, I just, it was very visceral for me reading that. Mm-hmm. And I could really relate to that state of mind. Um, another thing I thought that was interesting was, you know, okay, we're getting like a, the little vignette where it's like, I'd imagine it's like uh, Mashiba is blocking out all sound for the most part because he's in his head. But I thought it was interesting to see that we didn't get any panel with just like his head coach, whether it's like his head coach, like screaming or some of that, because there's no way the coach is going to be silent while their their fighter is taking a pummeling. So, you know, maybe everybody's that, panicking, man. Nobody yeah, knows what to do. Yeah. It was like, I would have appreciated a panel of even the coach just panicking and be like, hey, don't give up or something like that, too. Because it made it really seem like either he was alone or maybe that was a deliberate choice by Morikawa to emphasize the fact that Mashiba's in his head trying to find a solution, right? 
Um, yeah. I also, because uh, I'd imagine like the coach is screaming at the top of his lungs, but I also thought um, the transition from that hopelessness to his head snapping back, Epo saying something, and then immediately the rage, like you even see the veins on his face. Like yeah, you ever seen a, 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 a face cheekbone vein before? <laughs> like, right. He's like, homie just got pissed. He thrives off a, of, well, I don't know if you'd say it thrives, but like anytime Epo tries to give him some positive reinforcement, it just pisses him off. Um, and I thought, you know what? I forgot too that Epo had mentioned a way to get around uh, Garcia's guard. For me, the way I took it was, I thought it just put him in such a rage that he just went back to his natural instincts because that that uppercut of Mashiba's was notorious. Like, I feel like that's how he kind of made his name a little bit, aside from the dirty fighting. Right. Mm-hmm. But like his uh, his uppercut was like the one tool we had yet to see. And maybe this like reverted him back to his natural instincts, perhaps. Um, Possibly. I mean, we just know his right hand is a that problem. death size. Yeah. The short uppercut, too. But I wonder if he's going to use that front hand uppercut of his man. Um, but yeah, either way, it's like nonstop action uh, in this chapter. Very excited to see what's going to go on, because once again, like Matt pointed out, and I'm about to reiterate, it's just a panel. It is mm-hmm. just a panel. Uh, but also, you know, in fighting, that one shot, and that, even as we'll talk about later, that one shot can really make a difference. Yes, sir. One yes, shot, sir. perfectly placed. Yes, sir. It's night and day, man. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, he had the fight, but then, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, how many times have we seen that? Yeah, that is true. It happens. That you is know? true. And some guys are those type of guys that are just one punch away. I mean... Shit, look at half of the things Epo's done in this right, series. Right. One punch away, man. Right. Um, yeah. No, but I, I have no other thoughts. Uh, it was like a jam-packed chapter. And this one didn't feel short. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like last week's felt, or maybe it was a week before that felt a little short, but this one felt just right. Just yeah, enough Yeah, it felt action, just about know? like the right length, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got no other thoughts, man. Yeah, man, but then if that's the case, let's go ahead and go on to Sakamoto Days. Let's Ooh. talk about it. Shout out Sakamoto Days. We are entering Days 59, entitled Cut. Uh, before we go into the summary, let's talk about the last panel from the previous chapter, 58. Our last panel was Shin just dismantled Mafuyu, uh, a.k.a. Young Face Mask, and he was talking about, sorry, dude, there's someone I have to catch up to. This chapter opens up with a flashback, right? Giving us a little bit more context to what Shin meant by somebody he has to catch up to. And he's basically telling Sakamoto not to save him. He's going to try to get by on his own strength. We've, we've seen this uh, type of uh, exposition before in similar, similar manga, right? It's like there's always yeah. one character who's like, yo, I got to do this on my own. I got to test myself, right? Um, young face mask is trying to compre- comprehend essentially what just happened, right? Uh, battle ensues, and now Shin isn't just on defense anymore. He's starting to counterattack as well. Like, what if we think back to the last chapter's panel, right? We saw Shin also beep the watch, meaning like maybe he's able to to at least get some type of countdown timer to how long he can use his foresight ability for his premonition ability for. But he seems to be comfortable with it in this chapter, like comfy, comfy. Like it gets to the point where, as he's counterattacking, he's even able to like block one of Mafuyu's kicks and uses the hilt of the gun, like the gun handle to just break off one of his like uh, heel blades on his high tops. And that was a cold panel. And that in the following panel where he basically gets 
um, I fool you in Mount and has a gun point, pointed at his temple, uh, low key John Wick style, you know? Now, uh, but, but, what also else, what within else? that, he was also able to hear his thoughts too. Yes, 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 yes. Cause he even mentions like, I hear you loud and clear. And like, my fool is just like, what are you talking about? There's just a question mark, right? Um, Shin essentially wins this match and it's cool because this kind of shows that Mafuyu, even though he is as battle experienced as he is, he's as seasoned as he, as he is, he's still a kid. Um, and it was funny too, because he was roasting Shin while crying, you know? <laughs> um, and he ends up revealing that his overall goal is to get into the order. Now, if you don't remember listeners, what the order is, keep in mind that that is the, the group in the uh, JAA that Sakamoto used to be a part of. So these are like the elite assassins, right? That's I mean, also where Mr. Takamura is. Mr. Takamura, Nag- uh, Nagumo, right? Mm-hmm. A few of the, the other people who've shown up here and there, like Shishiba and uh, Circular Saw Girl, right? Um, yeah. So just keep in mind, these are the elite of the elite of the JAA. Now, that's when we see this dude who I'm dubbing Cowardly Mohawk, and he probably won't make another appearance because it seemed like he was just there for the sake of that scene. Cowardly Mohawk. Uh, he, he he hops out of an overhead compartment to kind of steal the bullets, but he quickly gets dispatched by Shin. Uh, we then learn that Shin's goal is also to end up in the order. Uh, and I put like shout out to Mr. Takamura because they they use that one specific panel where they were like uh, talking about how much of an urban legend he is. So mm-hmm. I was like shout out to Mr. Takamura every time I see him, uh, aka Old Man Katana. Got to give a shout out to our nicknames too, right? Um, every time. Shin gives Young Face Mask a bullet, and we switch over to economy class. Now, remember, Shin and uh, Mafuyu's battle was in first class. Uh, now we see Anxiety Youngster, who we now learn is named Akira, is putting in that work. So Sakamoto proceeds to give them a quick tutorial on how to shoot the gun properly. Uh, that's essentially the end of their vignette, right? And then we switch over back to first class, where we are introduced to a new test administrator named Kanaguri. Remember that name, folks, because it actually is very significant. Um, This person is holding a camcorder while wearing a scarf that is either made out of or looks like film reel and proceeds to make quick work of a group of test takers by decapitating them with a clapperboard. You like, you know, that thing that they'll be like, all right, one take 12, action, snap, like that, that thing, right? And... Apparently, he's all about his footage. Now, the last panel in this chapter, I think I can score some great footage. And it ends on two, like, two panels, and it's basically the two pairs. Shin and Mafuyu in first class, and Akira and Sakamoto in economy class. Now, on to my review. Um, this was, like, nonstop action, right? The Man. Like, like, nonstop action. Like, they just stepped on the gas. They're banging limiter in first gear. Um... The opening scene after the flashback I thought was kind of funny because you could see all these empty bullet casings, these random corpses. Like, this is, uh, what did Akira say? It was like 30 minutes into the battle and there's already like this much like carnage and destruction going on inside of this aircraft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, yeah, just to give us an overall idea of all the destruction that has happened. Now, Shin has evolved. Like I said, he's looking like hella comfy with his premonition ability, right? Um, mm-hmm. He even kind of disarmed Mafuyu, even though it was just like the one sneaker blade, but it was enough to like pin him, not just his body, but like his, like, or I should say, not just his lower half, but his arms too, right? Um, right. I, I honestly, 
even though it was funny, I didn't expect my friend to, to start crying. That was, that took me a, a bit. Yeah, back, it was a shock. It was like, you kind of have to expect the unexpected with him because again, like there's a lot of contradictions. Like he's an assassin, but he's a German folk, right? He's a seasoned uh, fighter, but he's also he's a kid, 14. right? There's all these, yeah, exactly. He's 14. There's all these contradictions inside of this character that are really good. And I'm, I'm happy that, you know, cause we talked last episode about, um, there's no way they could kill him off. And it looks like we were kind of right. You know, like there's still a lot of potential to be made here. And as we see in the last panel, like he's obviously going to have to team up, uh, team up with Shin. Mm-hmm. Um, him complaining about the dirty bullet was hilarious. And uh, despite Akira, AKA anxiety youngsters uh, previously demonstrated ineptitude, uh, it's 30 minutes and they haven't died yet. So they're, they're doing something right. Or they have something in them to at least survive. They've been, and to be fair too, Sakamoto, seems to have taken a liking to them, right? So maybe he's like low-key kind of helping them. Although uh, Akira did kind of pull uh, a shin in that, you know, last chapter they were saying like, hey, I'd rather not accept your help. I got to do this on my own. The person I look up to wouldn't do this. So I'm going to do this on the strength of my my own abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, shout out to Sakamoto for the quick tutorial. Um, and I thought it was kind of funny that before the scene switches back to first class, that Sakamoto still has that pen and he clicks it like, I'm ready. Um, You're right, basically. Right. Also, we have to talk to like his cheek, right? Every time. Every, his cheek like, on the gun. That cheek, <laughs> yeah, that cheek is always getting action. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> um, bro, Kanaguri, talk about an intro to a character. I yeah. mean... The character design, obviously, this dude is a film head. Um, Outrageous. Out, the character design is, you know, I thought Mafuyu had a dope character design. Kanaguri's de- character design is something else. I I, I was like, what? <laughs> like, um, just the scarf. He's holding the camcorder. He's shouting at these test takers like he's really directing them in a film. He's recording all of this as he's doing it. Um. Like I even like was like as he decapitated these folks, and then this was another chapter in the series where I had to be like, "This is for kids." This is the, man. There wasn't even like they didn't even try to to hide it in any way. It was straight up decapitation, uh, with the clapperboard, man. Like I don't know. Uh, that was just a wild intro to a character. That's all I gotta say. That's all I gotta say. Uh, um, and it's not like there wasn't already any action in the chapter. It was just like this dude. I, I, I wrote down like I wonder what that footage looks like now. Right, low key, kind of goody, right? I was yeah. like, I know I heard this name, and then when I saw that little uh, title title rectangle or whatever that said like he was a test admin and a member of the order, I had to go back to chapter fifty six. Why? Because his name was one of the names that was meant or the name mentioned when uh, Shishiba and uh, Circular Saw Girl. We're talking about up in the numbers of the order, at least recruit or gathering back with the old teammates, right? right. Uh, so now circle back to this, and this dude is one of the test admins. So uh, looks like there's going to be a battle between Shin Mafuyu versus uh, Kanaguri. Now, what this ended up making me think. It looks like even with Shin declaring what he declared in that flashback at the beginning, Sakamoto's gonna have to intervene. Like as much as Shin has evolved, I don't see him, even him and Mafuyu taking out a member of the order, right? Who just took out a bunch of folks with a fucking clapperboard. Excuse my language, pardon my French, right? 
Um, other questions I had, where is Mizuno now? <laughs> like, is she dead? Because uh, she wasn't yeah, anywhere near, uh, she wasn't anywhere to be found in first class. Did did uh, Kanaguri just like accidentally murk her? We don't know. I don't, we don't know how much they cooperate amongst each other, the test admins at least. Um, will Sakamoto helping out Akita potentially backfire? We still don't know who the person she admires is. There's still quite, I'm sorry, who they admire. We don't know their gender, right? I mean, it's what it is. We don't know their gender, but we don't, like, uh, will it backfire? Like him giving them a tutorial on how to handle the gun, right? Because uh, it's mm. all it's all cool right now when they're like kind of uh, in the trenches together. But at some point, those numbers will get whittled down. And they were saying themselves like, hey, it's been 30 minutes. I haven't gotten a bullet yet. Like if your options start to dwindle and what if Sakamoto's like the only person they can get a bullet from, like what's going to happen Shit, there? Then your options are even more dwindled. Right, you know, like will that will this backfire, and then will we see what their true abilities are? We don't know yet. There's still a lot of questions around anxiety, youngster, aka Akira. Right, um, mm-hmm. man, I'm just hyped for the next chapter. Nonstop action, foot on the pedal. Yeah, man. man. You think? I really enjoyed the chapter. I thought this was a great one. I thought all the action was good. One thing I wanted to uh, point out was when he was showing, uh, what what's anxiety, youngster's name again? Uh, Mafuyu. No, 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 not Mafuyu. Oh, I'm sorry, Akira, Akira. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Akira. Akira. Um, when he was showing Akira how to shoot the gun, he said he had shot some, shot, shown someone previously. I like that they had the little panel of him showing Shin yeah. how to shoot. Yeah. Um, also, I liked the the bit of a flashback that we got, you know, showing him saying, uh, telling Sakamoto that he wanted to do it without him. Um, yeah. I thought that was dope. And, you know, and it, it adds extra motivation. I am, however, going to disagree with you. I think Shin is going to beat this guy. I think hmm. this is going to be Shin's way to, like, kind of show where his it. level is. Because he's had, at the very least, he's had a time skip. Uh, so with the time skip, he clearly, as he's already shown, has gotten a little bit stronger. Right. And this isn't even necessarily a world um, of, I mean, there are, like, levels of power for sure, but. Who's to say that they can't just outsmart this guy? Right. You know? Right. Uh, that is a good call out. So that's pretty much how I felt about it. That's yeah. all I really got on it. That is a good call out. It was just I, a great chapter, man. It was exciting. So just to, to recap too. So listeners, remember this and tune in next week, right? So we have two options. Oh, I, I doubt it'll be resolved in one chapter, but it could either be Shin lives up to his promise, right? Overcomes Kanaguri, or Sakamoto has to intervene, right? And it could be if it's the former, Sakamoto walks in on the first class bout, right? And sees mm-hmm. Shin evolve, or it could be like Sakamoto has to intervene. Either way, they got our money. We're gonna we're gonna read this shit. Uh excellent series. Now we are on the cusp of chapter 60, still in the double digits. Still a worthy binge. You know what to do. If you haven't checked out Sakamoto Days yet, you will not be disappointed. Um, Matt and I have been saying, like, Chainsaw Man and Jujutsu Kaisen have definitely turned the tides in terms of uh, the way shonen manga is written and and told, at least in terms of the pacing. Uh, Sakamoto Days definitely belongs in that generation, too, where it's just been delivering. Um, Check it out. I got nothing else to say other than 
On to the next one, man. You know what time it is with Kaiju, Matt. Let's go. Man, we're going to jump right into Kaiju number eight. Uh, This is Kaiju number eight, chapter 56. Um, This one is called, Is It Good News or Question Mark? So we open up with Vice Commander Hoshina. Uh, Hoshina is the commander whose eyes are closed all the time. He has mm-hmm. that trope. So you already know what it is. He's usually, those characters are usually fast as hell or dangerous as hell. When their eyes open, it's a problem. Yeah, it's a whole nother thing. And they tell him that monster number 10 is awake. Now, if you guys remember at the end of the previous chapter, chapter 55, we find out that they have been keeping uh, monster 10 alive. Um, mm-hmm. Hoshina wants them to interview monster number 10 to find out if there's any information they can give him about number nine. And he refuses to talk to anyone other than Hoshina, who's the one who beat him. Mm-hmm. And basically they get him to come in there. They explain that, you know, they kept his core intact, but not enough for him to be able to regenerate. And they begin to talk. So he roars at him right away, kind of showing how strong he is. And he tells him next time he's going to chop him up and all that. And essentially he's mm-hmm. like, Hey, sword man, um, you're different from the rest. And I wish I would have got a chance to eat you, but <laughs> I didn't. And he's like, that's cool. I need you to tell me everything you know about monster number nine. And he's like, yeah, no problem. I don't care. That means nothing to me. And immediately everybody's shocked. Yeah. And um, he's like, but I'll tell you under one condition and his condition is he wants to fight. And he's like, not going to let you out of there so I can fight you. And he was like, no, 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 no. I know that you guys are turning our bodies essentially, you know what I'm saying? I know you guys are turning our bodies into weapons and into suits. And he's like, I want to be turned into a suit. And I, I'm assuming he means suit because he says, turn me into a weapon and wear me. Give me right. your body. Right. And the only thing I could think is that maybe they would just upgrade Hoshina's suit. I mean, he already is amongst the upper echelon of people who can pull power from the suit. So right. it makes a lot of sense. But essentially, monster number 10 is like, look, you enjoyed fighting me. I enjoyed fighting you. You already basically have the power of a monster. And if you and I can be partnered up, then I'd be willing to tell you whatever you wanted to know. Right. And at first, everybody's like, ah, okay, that's kind of crazy, but we're probably not going to do this. But at the end of the chapter, we see Oshina comes back and he tells him, you tell me what you want to know or you and I have a deal. But the difference is you won't be using my body. I'll be using you. you. And that's where we end the chapter. Um, I like, typically I don't really like having too many down chapters or too much of a down period, but I appreciate this because I feel like all of this is a necessary story. Yep. Uh, Excuse me. Um, All of this is necessary story. You know, we're getting, you know, we got some of the fallout from the, uh, the death of that captain. He's out. And then, yeah. yeah. And then pretty much all of this is the fallout from the last major event. 
and all of the things that are happening. So we're clearly building up to something, but we're putting everybody in a situation where they're getting stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, in the last few chapters, that's what we've been seeing. In this chapter, we see that Hoshina's probably going to get an upgraded armor or he's going to get something. Maybe he's going to get fucking Battleizer or something. I don't know. <laughs> Battleizer. <laughs> Shout out Power Rangers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I mean, hey, go on, shit. go on, go on. <laughs> but, you know, he might get something like that. Um, you know, we know that Kafka is training and that he already can't turn back. Um, you know, we see his teammates are training. Everybody is like, pushing and get bigger and get better and, you know, just get stronger. So I'm interested in seeing what's going to be at the end of that, because we're not getting all of this for nothing. Like there's no reason to even go this far into detail if they're not going to, you know what I'm saying? Really right, get there's got to be it. a payoff. Yeah. It's got to sure. be a payoff. So I'm interested to see what the payoff is going to be. How'd you feel about the chapter? Man, what can I say? Um, I liked it. Uh, I feel like in our roster of manga, we don't get maybe my hero, but other than my hero, we don't really get any bad chapters, right? Um, yeah, I say really. my, if you everybody like, I mean, my hero is in its final arc. You you know how many filler chapters we got. Matt and I have discussed this in mm-hmm. previous episodes, right? Um, but for this chapter in particular, I like I when I read it the first time, I was like, oh, is this a a, a time skip between the last panel and? this chapter the the last panel the previous chapter in this chapter and then i read it again i was like wait no it's not it, this chapter is literally giving context to uh the last panel to that so, previous panel exactly yeah. exactly um i thought that man uh kaiju number 10 is probably the most brazen kaiju we've seen so far in the story now kaiju number nine is interesting personality wise like definitely very different personalities if you if you even think about kaiju number 10 like his introduction to the story was even bold right he was riding standing on the backs of the the like i guess you want you could call them like the pterodactyl kaijus he invaded the base with like he was like Mm -hmm. standing there like arms folded like what you know and remember too, like in order to be able to control like the flying kaiju, you have to be a certain caliber when it comes to just, uh, what do they call it? The fortitude level to even be yeah. able to get those kaiju to listen to you, much less work in a group, right? So- Yeah, I very thought, powerful guy. Yeah, no, super powerful. Like, I mean, they even demonstrate the fact that he's basically just a head, a spine and a damaged core, but is still able to emit a fortitude level, which is their uh, power scaling system for the kaiju of over 5.0, right? Like it was uh, 5.7. 5.7. Yeah, and he's like just yelling and it's making the whole room shake and apparently producing some type of gust of wind. Uh, even though he's like behind what I'm assuming is some like very powerful containment field, right? Now, allegedly his core is too damaged to regenerate fully. But then of course, like momentarily he regenerates uh, his torso and his arms when he's like, you know, trying to convince, and I want to say intimidate really uh, Hoshina uh, about, you know, wielding him or like coming to a deal with him and whatnot, right? Now, there was something that was significant too. uh, When Hoshina makes that request to get more information on Kaiju number nine, what does Kaiju number 10 say? Like he says that one sentence where I was created by them after all. Who's the them? in this 
right? Who is the thumb? Uh, is he referring to Kaiju number nine? Or is he referring to another player? That and what I read, he said him. Really? He said him in the one I read, yeah. But either way, there's another mysterious character, right? Or characters mm-hmm. that we do not know about. And apparently the Kaijus are created. Uh, now, another thing that that made me think of too, it's like, what's up with the Kaiju's information network that they know the humans can weaponize them? Like, um, the only other thing I can relate this to is uh, Pacific Rim. And the reason why I'm mentioning Pacific Rim, not, not the second one, which I have yet to see, the first one, um, the Kaijus in Pacific Rim have a hive mind, essentially. All the information that they learn uh, is spread to the other Kaiju, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the same scenario? Is that the same set of parameters that we're dealing with in this world that is built in Kaiju number eight? Do all Kaijus have access to the same information? Probably not. Um, and I say this, why? Because if that were the case, then maybe Kafka would have the same information too. So I just, yeah, that's fair. I set up a theory and I killed it within the same sentence. But uh, I mean, I just, I just thought it was interesting. I mean, they have to have some, maybe they don't have a high mind, but they for sure have some type of information, some type of knowledge. Cause how, how did they know? And you can even, um, you know, you can even further this theory because why? Kaiju number nine knew where uh, General Shino, Shino, it was a Shinonome? Shinonome mm-hmm. was located, right? He knew what base to attack. And he knew that Shinonome had access to Kaiju number two, right? So they do have an information network. And we're just seeing that again here. Now, uh, it also made me think too, does this insinuate that even when weaponized, can Kaiju still be conscious, right? Because if oh, man. the yeah. eagerness with which Kaiju number 10 was like, just go ahead and weaponize me, made me think that, okay, he might not actually be dead, even though he's weaponized. They may take on a different form, but that doesn't mean they lose consciousness. Uh, and it made me think too, was Kaiju number two still technically speaking conscious, right? Uh, Hoshina That'd be is- interesting to know. Right, oh dude, the next chapters have, I have so many questions for them, right? Um, Hoshina is for sure a fight maniac, but we knew that. We knew that, like the battle he had with Kafka when he didn't know that Kafka was number eight, right? Um, mm-hmm. Kaiju no, or, and also um, Kaiju number 10, I think might be the scariest Kaiju design so far. I don't know, dude, but there's something about like that eye resting in the inside of his mouth right before like the esophagus or whatever. It's just, that's, that's low key nightmare fuel. It's different. It's drawn just enough to where it's not enough to give you nightmares. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's drawn just enough, but like when his mouth fully opens, I'm just like, that's that's just too much. Um, yeah, yeah. And also, the, you know, that code switch that Soshido does uh, once he leaves the chamber was hilarious. He's like, whew. But I also think that was like by design right. to give us a break. Because I, I feel like when I was reading this chapter, I was also like, Loki kind of holding my breath a little and on the edge of my seat, like, oh shit, what's about to happen, you know? And when he did that whole like, oh goodness gracious, like, you know, yeah, that was scary. Yeah, I was like, over. I also breathed out a little bit too, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Now, this is probably the main thing that I took away from this chapter. And it's like the question I have, and I, I, I kind of talked to you about it yesterday when we were talking, right? But mm-hmm. are we going to get a different type of kaijufication? on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Whereas uh, for Kafka, it was a literal kaiju entering his body through his mouth. For uh, 
Hoshino, I'm sorry, Hoshina, it looks like this kaijufication might occur with whatever new equipment he gets as a result of kaiju number 10 being turned into a weapon or being weaponized. And mm-hmm. as a result of his consciousness not being erased. Um, that's what I'm getting off of the information that has been presented to us, right? I don't know if that's going to be the case because everything is just a panel and things can change chapter to chapter, right? Um, for real, for real. And I'm wondering, like, because Matt, you've mentioned this a few times before too, a lot of things end up coming down to output with those suits, right? So I'm thinking if uh, Hoshina gets either a new suit or new weapons tailored to his abilities, and it ends up being a thing about output, right? So if Ten still has his consciousness and Hoshina brings out the full power of the suit or the weapons, will it be like Hoshina is no longer in the driver's seat? It's Ten, right? Could that lead to Hoshina being able to empathize with Kafka? Because I feel like there are still quite a few people who are probably going to be cold-blooded toward the fact that Kafka is, you know, in fact, a kaiju. They acknowledge his, or at least the higher-ups have acknowledged his humanity. We don't know what it's like with uh, everybody else. And I, I want to say Hoshina doesn't, you know, have any resentment or, toward uh, Kafka, but I'd like to think that this leads to him being up, able to empathize with Kafka if it is, in fact, that type of stroke, right? Yeah. Then does this end up being his training arc, right? Like, okay, the chapters leading up to this, we've seen who's pairing up with who to train to get stronger. Now we have a vice captain literally pairing up with what appears to be a kaiju as a part of his training arc. I don't know, man. Um, and I, I put like, I, I feel like his uh, kaiju number 10 being weaponized specifically for Hoshina, it's either going to be a new suit or a new type of twin blades, right? Because that's just his style. Um, right. And then final thoughts. Does 10 share that ability with nine where he can propagate like a virus? Uh, where's the rest of him? And even with a damaged core, can he control parts of himself remotely, right? Does his core need to be 100% for him to regenerate or replicate? Yeah, that's a good point. Hype for the next one. And it's like, the reason why I say this is because you pointed this out to me yesterday when we were talking on the phone, man. Like, where is the rest of 10? Are they going to weaponize that, that head and spine and core that are floating in that tank? Or do they already have bits of him that they're weaponizing as we speak? I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, And then, you know, it ends on the Kaiju number eight, episode six, the compatible user. So that seems to be the name of this, this, uh, either the arc that we just saw or the new arc that's about to start. But um, shit, man, it's a good ass chapter, bro. Good ass chapter. Yeah, man, it sure is. And Uh, it was mostly exposition, you know, but it was good. But I mean, I think it was necessary. Yeah. Uh, you want to go ahead, jump, just take us there. Take us to Jujutsu Kaisen. Are you guys ready for a lot of talk? <laughs> Actually, yeah, you know, no, no, there, there's going to be a lot of talk. I will say, um, oh, shit, bro, it was just a good chapter. It's, Matt, let's get into it. Listen, Jujutsu Kaisen, chapter 175, titled Sendai Colony, part two, right? Previous chapter's last panel, Kurorushi breaks out the festering life sword, an enchanted blade that mixes life and death. And we're about to see what that actually means in this chapter. All right, summary. So before I go too far into the summary, uh, I always, especially with the, this, these last few chapters of Jujutsu, um, I want to mention the new rogues that we're dealing with in the Sendai colony. So remember, we have uh, Lakdawala got murked, right, when Yuta made his appearance. Uh, Kurorushi is currently 
the one that Utah is dealing with. Who are the two that are left? We got Pompadour, a.k.a. Ryu Ishigori, and we got the floater, a.k.a. Takako Uro. So keep in mind that, like last chapter and this chapter as well, they're the ones hovering above, watching as everything is unfolding. Now, if you thought Sakamoto Days was all gas pedal, listen. Uh, Gege Akutami put their foot through the fucking floor when pressing on the gas pedal. Like, they just turned their car into a Flintstones car. That's how hard they hit the gas pedal on this chapter. It literally wastes no time. So, last panel, we got that ominous feeling with Kurorushi, the, the roach, pulling out the festering life sword. Uh, the panel opens up with Kurorushi may, fixing to raise its arm to deliver an attack, but Yuta said, uh-uh, no, I'm not even going to let you think you have a chance or oh. an opening. Immediately, immediately slices off that arm, pins it to a nearby rock with his katana and just does not let up. I mean, I, I'm going to save this for like the review part. Let me just continue summarizing, right? So um, it's like gas pedal, gas pedal, gas pedal. Utah does not give Kurorushi a chance to even uh, get their breath back if they even breathe, right? Now, an interesting thing to note while we're summarizing too is like the swarm of roaches that Kurorushi controls acts very similar to Gata Sand from Naruto. So it's like not just for offense, it's for defense too because it does use its swarm to block a strike that was aiming, like a, a lethal strike, right? That was aiming for its head with that swarm, right? Now, uh, at this point, mid-battle, Yuta realizes that Takako and Ishigori are watching from above, or at least from a concealed perspective, because he notices that two players with high scores are, he doesn't know that they're dumb, but he notices that two players with high scores are observing everything that he does, right? And he essentially comes to the conclusion that he has to dispatch Kurorushi without using Rika, the, his cursed spirit. Uh, if you don't know the background about Rika, make sure to either read Jujutsu Kaisen Zero or to watch the movie, which should be coming out soon. And Matt pointed this out last episode of the episode before about the timing of Utah entering the chat and the movie coming out. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is pretty good marketing on their part, right? Get everybody hyped for this movie. Now, he realizes that he doesn't want to use Rika and he doesn't want to use reverse curse technique, right? Uh, basically, it's like kind of reflecting the curse technique back to whoever used it is what I'm guessing right now. They've they've explained reverse curse technique before, and in my in my uh, to to my, I guess lack of preparedness, I should have reread the definition of reverse curse technique. But it's what it is. It's not going to stop me from uh, giving my points of view right now. Right, because he doesn't want the rest the 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 rest of the opposition to know about his trump cards. He chooses not to use those two things. So he chooses to go like I'm gonna just keep going out with my katana and my physical strength. Like use a little taijutsu, use a little weaponry to get to defeat this opponent. Now, it looks like the swarm brings back Kurorushi's arm and also brings back the uh, festering life sword, right? And mm -hmm. this is like the first time we get dialogue out of Kurorushi. Up to this point, I didn't even think it could speak, right? Me and it, it actually represents like the first bits of actual dialogue in the chapter, like excluding thought bubbles. Um, and he basically says like, the reason why I'm attacking all these humans, all these people is because I love the taste of iron which, you know, blood has iron in it, right? Mm -hmm. um, he then uses his technique called earthen insect trance. And I got some comments on the appearance of that technique. But basically, they serve as a distraction while the festering life sword uh, strike is set up. And that 
festering life sword technique is probably the most gruesome one I've seen depicted so far in Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, in recent memory, in recent memory, that's that's the, I'll qualify it that way because I feel like if I gave a, another reread, I might think a little bit differently. Um, yeah, but just think about alien face huggers. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, Utah quickly takes out those like shoulder bursters, <laughs> but uh, this sets up Kurorushi's strike to the torso. And before the worst happens, Utah has no choice but to use his reverse curse technique. And the way he uses it was just like. I don't even know what to compare it to, but, but kiss of death. But all, yeah, thank you. Uh, all that does is usher in the next opponent. So as soon as he dispatches Kurorushi, um, Takako sneaks up on him and was like, oh, I didn't know you could use curse technique. And then we see a giant fold appear in the sky. Now, according to chapter 173 for Takako, we have to remember that her technique allows her to control the sky. And we should also remember that she was slash is an assassin, which could explain why she got what appears to be the jump on Utah. We don't know if Utah wasn't already prepared. Uh, well, he at least knew that she was around. He yeah, knew two people were exactly. watching him. Yeah, that's true. So it's like, uh, it appears, it only appears to be that she got the jump on him. And the panel ends like kind of on that uh, that fold in the sky, like meaning her attack has begun. My review uh, non-stop action out of the gate. Like I said, they're just slamming first gear and hitting the rev limiter. Um, we only get actual dialogue when Kurorushi speaks on page eight. We get our mm-hmm. first thought bubble on page seven. So you got about six pages of no dialogue and just action between. Well, it's it's honestly just one-sided. It's it's just Yuta giving it to Kurorushi the whole time. Um I said that this has been the least wordy chapter of Jujutsu Kaisen in recent memory. Um, but hell, a picture paints a thousand words and we got a lot of those, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Earthen insect trance are basically a pair of floating scrotums. That, that's what they are. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what they are. And when you slice them, their fluids, gross. <laughs> their fluids are supposed to blind you. That was just, that was just gross. <laughs> Um, if Utah hadn't switched it up with the reverse curse technique, we would have gotten a scene straight out of Aliens, the 1971 movie, like Man. with the chest burster, bro. Um, and I wrote down, I, dude, there were a lot of screen caps just around those, those that scene alone, but um, I couldn't tell if the the chest bursters are what ripped uh Kurorushi apart. Or if it was Utah using the reverse curse technique and his strength that just went like, yeah, and just like <laughs> ripped him in half. Um, or ripped them in half, because we don't know the gender and it's been revealed already that Kurodushi is uh, asexual, right? Um, I thought we were gonna get more, because remember I had I had, I had had that train of thought too, like, oh, maybe because they, they had mentioned the parthenogenesis, the ability mm-hmm. to reproduce asexually, it's like, okay, maybe, um, Kurorushi could make a clone of himself. Now it's going to be like, oh, snap, you got to fight multiples. Uh, no, no. Our boy Utah just made quick work of this. And I, I actually laughed when Kogane popped up saying, oh, you're in five points. <laughs> like, because like, I, I think the design of Kogane was intentional in its lightheartedness because um, it was like kind of a brief moment of levity too. Uh, I thought the panel of Takako sneaking up on Utah was kind of cold. Well, allegedly sneaking up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it's like, it made me think so far how much time has elapsed. 
we get when we're introduced to Yuta, he just took out Lakdawala. He's saving civilians, and then he's got to deal with Kororushi, who appeared because Lakdawala had just got murked. So not that much time had to have passed between Lakdawala's demise and Kororushi's appearance. Now, oh, bro. go ahead, go ahead. Wait, go ahead. My bad. Oh, I was gonna say, so not that much time has has uh, has has uh, 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 elapsed, right? Mm. Now. Kurodushi just got murked and already the new opponent is showing up, right? It's like, it made me think like, even when you're in a tournament, you get a break during your matches here. It's just like back to back to back to back. So we can safely say that Yuta has a gas tank on him. But the thing that's interesting here, it's like, he took a, quite a bit of damage uh, off of that festering life sword, right? And another thing that made me think of too, especially with uh, Kogane saying he got the five points, Let's remember what his objective is. And this was like adjacent to the last panel, last chapter. He's got to get 400 points total because he wants to add about four new rules, right? Mm -hmm. When he's introduced to us, he just marked Lakdawala. He had 35 points, right? He just marked Kurorushi. So now he's up to 40. Now, if he, if he marks, uh, he's at 10% of his overall goal and he still has two major opponents in this colony that we know of left, right? If he just mercs Ishidori and Takako, he'll be up to 50 points, but that's just half of what it takes to just add one rule, right? So I'm thinking with these last two opponents, he either is going to have to get some of them to transfer points for one, one or both of them, uh, in order for him to achieve his goal, or he's going to have to, like, maybe there's enough cannon fodder, like sorcerers, for him to either get them to transfer points enough for him to at least get a hundred points or something. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. he still has that goal that he needs to accomplish. Right. So I'm just thinking like, uh, if he mercs these last two, he's, he's like, what would that be? Uh, an eighth of the way toward his goal, you know? Um, but, and another comment I made is like, I don't know if Utah's like cold blood enough to just like, go on a killing spree just just to amass the first 100 points and then the next 300 points if you will um yeah but now nah, i'm just hyped for the next chapter this is non-stop action man not not we have yet to receive a bad chapter of jujitsu kaisen what'd you think yeah okay. man um i thought this chapter was crazy we out here about to we getting Yuta's greatest hits right now Yes. Um, Clip that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for real, for real. I mean, we going, we getting Yuta's greatest hits. You know, I think they really are just building that case, both with the timing of the movie and just in general, for people who aren't very familiar with Yuta, and even with people who are familiar with Yuta, it's dope to see that he's this strong now. Not to cut you, you know. off too, but it's like you had even pointed out that we're now seeing him. We he was he was uh out of out of state for the most part out of country like uh yeah. for the most part like this is this is our first He's time seeing him in the action chat. since since the time skip for yeah, like his he wasn't in the chat was. man yeah he here mm -hmm. um you know so to know that he can act independently of Rika and have Rika keeping people mm -hmm. safe um and he can use reverse curse techniques and he can fight and all this other stuff it was just it was dope to see man um you know, and to see how he took him out. And, you know, the fact that she can warp the sky and, you know, the, the girl got right behind him. Cause I thought she did like some type of, uh, the way I had interpreted it was as if she had did some sort of equilibrium type of attack or something like that, right, you know, right. since so the panel kind of swirled out. Yeah, yeah. She was right up on him. 
Uh, but I think what we're about to get in these next few chapters, like I said, is just Yuta's greatest hits. That's going to be the Yuta mixtape. Like, yeah. he he about to beat this girl, then he going to beat the next person because... They were never you know, a problem. <laughs> yeah, all she did was get up on him. But, like, it didn't really seem like, despite the fact that he took a little damage, it didn't seem like he had much trouble with that that uh, that cockroach spirit, yeah. honestly. yeah. It just didn't seem like, I mean, yeah, he, he had fights still, but it just didn't seem like it was that difficult a task, you know? Yeah. 100%. So, that was how I felt about the chapter. It's another good one where we about to just see you to scrape all these people. Yeah. I really feel like these next two people are really about to get dead very dirty. Like, you is really about to, he really about to scrape something. Yeah. So, we going to see. I just had a random thought too, like um, Takako, right? The the one who controls the sky. They said she was an assassin and she was like a directly affiliated with the TOH, which I forget what that stands for, but I think it's like the government, the, the government body that kind of like was in charge of keeping the jujitsu world separate from the, the civilian world. Uh, mm-hmm. I could be mistaken. I'd have to go back and check references and whatnot. Um, but they also said she was with like the sun, moon and stars organization which I think was the organization that had that one girl who was supposed to be the next vessel for Master Tengen. Uh, So I wonder if there's a connection between Takako and Tengen. Because also, uh, if we recall correctly, Megumi, right? When he was dealing with our boy, uh, oh man, what was his name? Uh, Something Star. Jeffrey Uh, Star. Yes. Uh, uh, Yeah, when he was dealing with with homie like... uh, uh, he was saying, what's your connection with Tengen, right? So I don't know if Utah, well, if he's scraping through people, he probably won't even really interrogate them, <laughs> right? But I just thought, I just thought that was, it, it just made me think of that. But I got nothing else, man. You taking us into My Hero Academia? Yes, sir. Let's get it. Um, so we're going to get into My Hero Academia chapter... 344, mm-hmm. chapter 344 is called Stars. Um, in chapter 344, we pretty much, I'm not going to hold you. Right away, I was frustrated. And I was like, you know what? Let me just go ahead and read it before I start <laughs> tripping. Because you saw Small Mike. <laughs> we saw a flashback and I instantly was upset uh, <laughs> because we got the dark panels. But essentially, uh, we got uh, Small Mike having a conversation with the police officer talking about the plan. And essentially we're finally getting a little bit of insight into what the plan was the entire time that we weren't informed on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we got sleepless young forehead, AKA Shenzo shout out. He pops up out the woodwork and apparently what his role, everything is really coming together from the last few chapters, little things that were sprinkled. Yes. Um, my impatience is somewhat being rewarded, but I'm yeah. And that's what that I later. that's what I put it, dude. Same wavelength. <laughs> yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But we got Shinzo essentially explaining that he's been working on strengthening his quirk, mm-hmm. and um, the way that they're going to use Shinzo is they're going to have Shinzo speak to all for one through Aoyama's parents. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like genius. Next level. 
that was genius. Um, especially because he was saying that, you know, he had taken this time in the train, uh, you know, he took this time to train so that way he could make this, you know, make his quirk stronger. And, the, you know, for those of you who may not remember what his quirk is, his quirk essentially is like brainwash, mm-hmm. but you can, you know, you'll end up doing whatever it is he tells you to do if you respond to him. And to know now that he's taken it to even another level really to me is like kind of crazy, but yeah, I thought that that was dope. And then we, uh, we fast forward to uh, the kid Naito whose quirk is copy mm-hmm. and they pretty much explain that they need him to copy a teleport quirk essentially in like three days. Yeah. And or however many days they said, but no real time. They needed him to copy and master the teleportation quirk, which is uh, the quirk that they used to teleport all the heroes on the scene when one for all showed up. I mean, when all for one showed up. And then, um, you know, we see him kind of get a little bit of a, a speech from Vlad and a little bit from uh, Eraserhead, who now is completely out of the picture, man, like, shit, what a raw deal this dude has gotten cut since we've been, uh, since he really lost the a leg too, right? Hero. Yeah. Uh, he might've lost a leg. I think he lost he definitely, a leg too. Dead man, he got essentially all his bones like crushed. Yep. Uh, in that one arc in the, the, was that the attack arc? I believe so. Yeah. He gets wrecked in that. You know, he and now he's lost an eye. It anyway, it's a lot. But essentially, they pretty much let Naito know that there's no small role in what ultimately is this battle. And they show all the people who were connected. They literally show, like in the operation, they show Shinzo uh controlling Aoyama's parents before they talk to uh all for one for all, all for one. God, I'm gonna do this all the time. Before they do that, for, uh, before they had a conversation with All for One and all of that. So then after that, we get a small bit of battle. Uh, we see Dobby running out there trying to obviously get after Endeavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that thwarted by Todoroki, who finally is uh, showing, showing emotion. The scale and <laughs> level of power that he had from the damn festival arc. Because I was right. just sitting here wondering, like, dude. Um, also, we see that heroes are just pouring out of these portals. Yep. Um, and immediately after, we see these kind of prisons get popped up around all of the villains. And they're like these cages, very reminiscent of if you've seen, what was that? If you've seen uh, Age of Ultron. Yeah. The cage that they kind of tried to drop around the Hulk when he was rampaging. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during the scene, it was very reminiscent of that. Mm-hmm. And you see all for one, you know, pretty much thinking like, okay, so what was your plan here? Because you guys know we can just get out of these cages. And the plan was to have Naito open more portals and they then separated all the villains, divide and conquer. So again, like we kind of both assume we're going to definitely get those one-on-ones, but now we're really going to get them because everybody's going to be separated. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no guarantee everybody's going to shoot the fair one, but come on. Look at what we're reading. Like, right. the setup is there. It'd be kind of crazy to not do it that way. Right. Um, but, yeah, so that's pretty much what we left off is the the villains are going to get thrown into these portals and get 
split up. So that's pretty much how the chapter ends. TJ, how did you feel about everything? I pretty much agreed with everything you said. Um, I I just have this feeling that when Hori, uh, Horikoshi is like in the writer's room with his editors and they're going over like all the the overall arcs and timelines for this year, they're probably just like seeing one thing and they're like, nah, you know, if we keep the readers out of the loop here, then add that context back in later, we just added 200 more chapters. More chapters, more money, baby. Like I feel more like money. I feel like that's how they're treating it. Um, and I put down too. It's like uh, this what this chapter just really felt like a chance for Horikoshi to reward the patience of the readers. So when you yeah. said like your impatience got rewarded, I was like, that's that's definitely what this felt like. The vibe it gave off. Um, I thought the opening sequence, even though it was a flashback, just seeing Tsukauchi with the five o'clock shadow goatee, he's had it for a few chapters now, but this is my first time really commenting on it. It's like, the homie's tired. Like, you mm-hmm. know, he's not getting enough sleep. They're working around the clock. Um, shout out to uh, Sleepless Young Forehead and Monoma Naito, right? The Phantom Thief. Uh, it's funny, like, this is the homie who is constantly talking down to uh, class 1A, right? Because he's in class 1B. <laughs> right uh just constantly talking down to him like the whole his fellow classmates had to like calm down and be like sorry he's like this right uh mm. it definitely has an inferiority complex but i like how they said like no one has a bit part to play uh he stepped up he did what he had to do um i when it comes to uh monoma being introduced i honestly was under the impression that they had somehow broken through kurogiri's consciousness to like their uh aizawa's and present mike's former teammate right I thought yeah that i thought that too consciousness you but hey it's what it is like they figured out a way to get the jump and get their divide and conquer plan executed right um the panel of monoma opening up that portal was dope and i thought it was dope too because we had a closer look of miracles like prosthetic which looks like it's not just a hand like that thing looks like it could just put some hurt on people um yeah what was the significance of Shigaraki touching that puddle? Uh, it, it made me remember too. It's like, oh yeah, he's got multiple quirks in him now because of like the the, the cocoon stage, right? The modifications that the mm-hmm. doctor under All for One's orders uh, um, put him through, right? And it makes me think again: who is in the driver's seat of Shigaraki's body? Is it yeah. him or is it All for One? I guess we'll find out soon enough, right? Dobby's just bonkers right he's this is what he's wanted the whole time he's just smiling like a maniac and like he's like oh what's up little brother like you know right, like yeah he's crazy he's getting, stuff, uh, you know? you're right he's getting exactly what he wanted yeah man uh looks like uh when the cages pop up toga gets caged up too and i for, there's no way they don't have her match up with uh Udalaka. um and you know like you said divide and conquer um more than likely each cage is going to get sent to a different area uh by monoma and of course they probably planned that out too but it's just another way for again them to extend this arc by several chapters so we're going to be jumping from location to location or like you know one one battle gets finished all right let's go check on the location in this area but uh it looks like all might is setting up his last stand uh with uh all for one Right, because though that the last panels was one panel for all for one, one panel for all might, and all might look pissed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just made me think too, like the comment you made last episode of like all might's got is is not gonna make it, 
And it, this is his last stand is what it feels like. I mean, he was spitting up blood just from yelling out the start of the operation, right? Uh, is yeah. muscle form going to come back or did they hook him up with some type of suit, right? But it just made me think, you know, night I, night I predict this is way back when that there's no way All Might makes it in whatever future he sees, whatever alterations, like there's no way he makes it. But we also have to keep in mind that All Might did make that promise to hang in there in order to shepherd the next generation. But we'll see. We'll see, man. Uh, also, like I said, Tsukauchi, it's like he's not just a cop. He's not just a detective, man. Like the, the, the few text bubbles he has at the end there made it seem too. It's like this isn't just personal for All Might. This is personal for Tsukauchi too, because he's sharing that same intensity. Um, final questions I had too arising from this, like if, especially since we see that All Might and Tsukauchi are kind of quarterbacking this operation from a nearby building, uh, comms seem to be important, right? What if communications get disrupted? Like I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for um, all for one to have some type of EMP quirk or or one of the villains to have some type of quirk that disrupts communications or wireless signals, right? Um, mm -hmm. Another thing that made me think of too, it's like, and this, uh, this, this, uh, this like kind of a little bit different, but uh, when you were talking about Aizawa and how he essentially has been sidelined, I mean, Eri is still in the picture and she can reverse things, right? She can reverse things that have been done to people. Like her quirk is literally to undo things, right? Maybe it, well, I guess it's more specifically tied to quirks, but she essentially has the ability to roll back the effects of time, if you will. I'm just wondering, like, could they use Eddie potentially to heal Aizawa? I'm not 100% yeah, I mean, sure. It, it's Because she it did be. it for, for Togata, for our boy Lumillion, you know? Yeah, you're um, right. She so, like, do that. Could she be used to take Aizawa off the signs? But it's like, I don't know if her ability is limited to just what happens to quirks or if it can help heal or undo uh, physical damage to physical wounds or mm -hmm. to, I'm, I'm stumbling all over my words, but you guys get what I mean? Like, can't she rewind time so that his leg comes back so that his eye comes back is what I'm getting at. Yeah, um, I get where you're coming from. But uh, yeah, looks like he's going down next chapter, right? I, I could see how you're pissed too. Cause like last week we were both saying like, all right, we got to get some action this time, right? And they mm -hmm. hit us with that flashback. We should have, we should have, we should have seen it coming. We should have seen it coming because it's not the first time, but it's what it is. Still hype. It still feels like things are moving forward. I mean, yeah. we're at the big battle, you know. That's all I got. Finally. Yeah, yeah. That's all I got, bro. Man, man, last, 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 but not least. The OG. Finally, we got Dragon Ball Super. Um, this is Dragon Ball Super Chapter 81. And this one is called Entitled Goku's Conflict. Now, mm -hmm. I know it's been a month, uh, so it's been a few episodes. But if you remember, uh, we were in the middle of the battle between Granola and Gas. Um, and Gas pretty much has turned the tables, calmed down from the rage form, and he's chilling. And now he's, you know, all ominous and super powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to just say this before I even get into the review of this chapter. This was one of the, like, one of the most exciting chapters of Super since, like, the manga for Super has started that I 
think we've gotten in a while. I thought it was very good. It was super action-packed. And the action was different from the action that we typically get. It was a very good variation. I mean, um, uh, piggybacking off of that, forget even the action. Like some of the dialogue was, I felt, was movie quality. Um, yeah, I felt like I was watching like an OVA while yeah. I was reading it. Like, honestly, this was yeah. a really, really, really good chapter. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I, I don't feel like I'm overstating that. So we get gas essentially putting a spell on Goku and Vegeta, hurting him. And um, Granola pops up, you know, trying to attack the Lek. Now that he knows and, the truth. Yeah, now that he knows the truth. And Gas uses instant transmission on a Lek and moves him away from where Granola was attacking. Which is a way we've never seen instant transmission used before. At um, all. She aimed, um, He aimed the instant transmission... At or Granola. someone else, yeah, yeah, and moved him. So I mean, at a at a lick, and yeah. moved him. So after that, we see him say, "You know what? Forget it. Doesn't matter. She's moves you. You know, blah blah. I'm gonna, you know, he really much wants revenge for his people, and you know, for his mother. And dude, that was oh rough. my that god, like, the panel after that, we just see gas throw this <laughs> kick. And just snap this dude's arms at the wrist, like the forearm, really, like mid forearm, just kicks straight up, breaks both his arms, two fingers, pew, pew, shoots but wait, his two right there's in more. the eyes, <laughs> yeah. right after, and then just sends him flying. But that's not it either, but bro. Wait, they no one has had this yeah. man did so dirty. And then he flies back into Alec. Alec catches him and tells him, uh, this is the same way that I cat that I pretty much took this out your mom. Straight out of a movie. A bro. laser right to his back. And he shoots him right through the back, like blows this guy's guts clean out and just drops him in okay. the water. That's what I'm gonna say. When I read that and I saw that panel, I was like, I guess that's why they call him the heaters. <laughs> Man, for real. Like, homie has a toolie on him, bro. <laughs> Man, he has the real. heater on him. That's why I call him the heater. Keep bro. it on me. Yo, elect <laughs> up the blammy and just put it right through granola. Whew. And after that, we get, um, you I know, mean, we see everybody's sort of reaction to that. Yeah. Like, we haven't seen something like that since, uh, since Mauro, like, punched Gohan through his chest and before that like since Dr. Jiro like did our boy Yamcha dirty right like, yeah bro I mean that shit was it was intense it was intense um and then after that we see you know my boy Vegeta uh give the last bit of his energy to Goku and just pretty much telling him look dog you're gonna have to do this you gotta do something because Granola is gone and you know, if nothing else, at least maybe Vegeta just realized maybe he ain't have it. And he probably didn't because during his fight with Granola, his whole thing was to take damage from this guy. So, right. you know, who knows how that might have uh, compounded or what have you right. in this uh, in this specific situation. So he gives Goku the last of his energy, which clearly must have been enough because Goku goes blue right, right. away and right. Uh, goes after Granola. I mean, so before you get too far ahead, too, to give some context of Vegeta and what piggybacking off what you said, remember last chapter, he took a full on flying psychic from Berserker Gas. 
So yeah. there's that additional damage too. Yeah, you're right. He did get blasted. That did happen. Uh, so yeah, he gets um he gives the last bit of that energy to Goku. Goku turns blue, immediately goes after gas, and the, the battle's on, right? So this mm-hmm. is Goku blue versus gas, and gas keeps pointing out that he doesn't see much anger or aggression in Goku. Because initially we see Goku was frustrated and then we see him calm himself down. Calms himself down, yeah. And he's pretty much, excuse me, so sorry. Uh, he pretty much tries to reason with Gas. He's like, yo, man, look, I don't even have any real beef with you. I have no real reason to fight you. Why don't you just leave? Mm-hmm. You just leave and like, this don't even got to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And Gas is like, no, nah, I'm here for the smoke, and I'll have it. Mm-mm. You know, whether you're going to give it to me or not. And the fight continues. And he asks him, you know, repeatedly why he doesn't feel any rage from him or, you know, he doesn't seem to see any aggression or anger. And Goku tells him he can't use his technique if he's angry. Obviously referring so, to Ultra Instinct, right? Ultra Instinct. So he's trying to to unlock that once again and we just are starting to see gas is manifesting essentially like these spiked walls and keeps throwing them at Goku. And, you know, Goku's doing his best to dodge them, throw them around, break them. And then we look over to, and I was just like, damn, when I saw this, uh, what was left over of Granola's old town. Yep. And which, if you remember early on in his fight with Vegeta, he was trying to protect. He didn't want them to destroy anything from over there. And man, we see gas pull some trains and buildings and all type of stuff and start throwing them at him. And you know, to me, it damn near was like no way home with him when it's like Spider-Man Doctor was fighting Strange. Doctor Strange. It was yeah. like all these trains just flying. It's gonna and be granted, cool it was to see only that like two. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be super dope to see that animated. But even though it was only like the two. It was interesting just seeing how Gas was manipulating all of those things. And then uh, we see Gas pretty much nose bomb Goku into the water, then create a wind tunnel for himself to stand in the middle of. Mm -hmm. And he starts to drown Goku. Goku tries to reach his hand through the water and shoot a beam. He catches it, throws it back at him. Take that with you. And blasts it right back in Goku's face. And just blows water all over and Goku is sort of surviving. And that's when he messes up and realizes that uh, Granola is being healed Mm -hmm. because he's trying to figure out how he can, you know, what he can even do. Mm -hmm. What's the most efficient way to get dispatch these folks? How can he get rid of gas? So gas beelines it for Granola. Goku beelines it for gas, stops gas just in the nick of time and does something super dope which is the instant transmission. Now we see him do this all the time, but he grabs uh, he grabs gas and he does the instant transmission and he takes them to another planet. A planet away from where they're fighting. Right. Initially. Pretty much drops them in the middle of like a marketplace where we see um what's what's the guy's name? Jocko. The, the when we see the Drew, where we see Space Patrol Trooper. Uh, Jocko, just in this marketplace, Goku teleports to <laughs> him. his own business. <laughs> and Gas asks him, he said, where did you teleport me? He literally tells him, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where we are. 
And because he explains to him, you don't use instant transmission as well as I do. And he's like, well, we're going to see about that. And, you know, they begin to have a fight and, you know, the fight is going on. It, oh, my God, man. Just all the animation in all of the panels showing the fight, showing the battle, showing these guys constantly teleporting was awesome. And my favorite part was the very last panel when Jocko was just <laughs> like, dude, I'm just going to pretend like I didn't see anything. He doesn't want to do that paperwork. <laughs> no, man. He is not trying to be bothered. First of all, Jocko was just minding his business. Yeah. So why would you even bring this to him, honestly? like, Yeah. He doesn't want any problems. Like Jago is like probably the most realistic character, <laughs> you know, in, in especially that sense. within like, their universe. Yeah, yeah. Like he's got the most normal reactions I've ever seen out of everyone in in the Dragon Ball universe. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Oh, man. How how'd you feel about the chapter, man? The first word I wrote in my notes was "bro." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Uh, there was so much to take in uh, in, the, in terms of this chapter. Uh, calling gas OP now is an understatement. He is for sure at least God level. Um, oh, man. Uh, the panel of him breaking Granola's arms, I literally yelled out, sir. You know, like, that was, that. again, we haven't seen, I mean, we've been seeing more and more violence in terms of super, but something like this, like, it, it made me think of when, Android 18 broke Vegeta's arm. Man, uh, yeah, that kick. Like, it, it literally made me think of that. And I, I just kept, like, in my head thinking about the sound Vegeta made in Japanese when his arm got broken. Uh, it yeah. was very visceral in, in terms of the yell. And then on top of that, he just blinds him, you know? And yeah, like I already made the gun pun joke about why they call him the heaters, but seriously, Elec is a villain. Uh, and that panel of him shooting Granola point blank in the back was, even though it was messed up, it was a really cold panel, um, like a really cold panel, you know? Uh, I was a little upset that Vegeta Aliu passes uh, instead of going for the dunk himself. I mean, we get it. He's taking enough damage. Like I mentioned earlier, right? He also did take on a full blast sidekick from Berserker Gas in the last chapter. But it's twice now in this arc that he's handed the dub or the potential dub to somebody else. He did that for Granola with the Senzu. Now he's given the last bit of his energy to Goku. Um, yeah, Vegeta is completely taking the back seat in this arc. He's it's like, just acquiesced at every point. I, I want Vegeta to have more than just character growth in this arc you know we did get a new man form. A win. we did we did get a new form but you know what i mean exactly like you said let's let's give him a win i know toyama said vegeta will never get a win but it's like man i'll even take a team up at this point you know um it, it can't just i don't know it's, it's it's neither here nor there we get it vegeta's got character growth you know it's what it is um goku calming down for ultra instinct as we surmised earlier um I know, like, with Ultra Instinct, it's always, like, the silvery hair. But I wonder if there's a combination of Ultra Instinct size Super Saiyan that we can get here, potentially, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that he turned blue is a big indicator that he's not in Ultra Instinct mode. But I wonder if that's a possibility, like, what would happen there, right? Um, Goku hitting us with the Takno Jutsu. I'm like, all right, I get it. But it's like, let's not, and by us... Um, I mean, like, 
let's not forget that Goku isn't like Batman, Superman, or your stereotypical superhero where they have a moral code that stops them from killing their enemies. Uh, I'll even take it back to Dragon Ball. Goku has killed before. And if you if you don't believe me, just ask Piccolo's dad. All right. So yeah, man, for real. Uh, when push comes to shove, remember that Goku can pull that trigger, right? And I mean, more recent example, think uh Resurrection F. You know, when uh they rewound time, Goku just instantly Kamehameha uh Frieza, no qualms, blew them, but right. Uh and remember, like <laughs> We have to understand too. At the end of those kamehamehas, like that's somebody's body's dis- disintegrating, right? That's a death, right? So it's like the characters, the heroes in Dragon Ball have killed before, and you know, I don't know. When I read the title, I thought the conflict was about Goku, uh, whether or not he could pull the trigger on having to end the heaters if he needed to, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Gases telekinesis is a problem, and he's literally running trains on Goku. Gross. But but he's literally <laughs> doing it right. Um, huh, man, there was there was just a lot. Um, that back and forth about Goku not resembling his father, like that fixation that Gas has, right? It, mm-hmm. I think it's just he Goku's got Bardock's face, so all he yeah, sees when he's looking man, at, he just got the at Goku, he, got he the just same sees face. Bardock. So he's like wondering, like, where's that killer intent that Bardock had? Why isn't that showing up in your face right now? I think that's pretty much why he's fixated on it. But it made me also think, too, because Goku does mention, you know, the head injury he had when he was a kid that at some point he realized it's it's cool. I didn't even know that Goku was that self-aware about his head injury, for one, to because to, to, I don't think other than was it was it mentioned in the in the Saiyan saga, like with Raditz? Perhaps I can't remember. I, I he doesn't talk it about it often. It doesn't come up. It often. only it, I feel like it only came up in Dragon Ball. Uh, during um, was it the the uh, Baba Yaga arc, right? Where the where he meets uh, Grandpa Gohan because uh, he's like one of the fighters or whatever. I think that's when it gets mentioned because uh, they also talk about how Goku was the one who killed his grandpa accidentally by going grade eight. Um, yeah. But why am I thinking about this? Because uh, it makes me think: Are they potentially talking about Goku somehow unlocking those memories? Is that the key, him tapping really, truly into his Saiyan nature? Is that the key to defeating Gas? What would this do to Goku? How would this change his character? Would this change his personality? Because the head injury was what set off this whole timeline of Goku being who he is, being unequivocally good in that Mm -hmm. sense, right? Him having the Saiyan... Uh, tenacity, the same ambition, the the love of fighting, the love of training, right? Like he has all the same parts without the evil, if you will. But if he unlocks those memories, does that change him? I would, I'm, I'm going to say no, because he's lived too much of his life being who he is for some, for something that happened in his, really like his infancy, right? To like, you know, maybe a little bit past toddlerhood, Right. I mean, it's damn near like him hitting his head change, fundamentally changed who he was going to be as a person. Yes, it altered whatever that timeline could have uh, potentially become, right? But I'd like to see, because there's been a, a running theme in a super as of late of them diving more into Saiyan culture, Saiyan history with Vegeta, with Bardock, right? 
And if you watch the Broly movie, we saw the retcon pass. We saw baby Goku in the in the nursing pod, right? Uh, yeah. If you watch, uh, what was the Dragon, or if you read Dragon Ball Minus, we know who Goku's mom is. So I think the only piece left in terms of Goku being complete in terms of his Saiyan side would be for him to unlock those memories. I think I could very well be wrong. Um, but it just, that's what it brought out for me. Like, I would definitely love to see that, you know, cause then it could also be like, all right, he can share some of that with his, his kids too. You know, they can learn a little bit more about their background. Right. Um, mm-hmm. granola, I'm sorry, not granola, but, uh, gas making a beeline for Monaito who is healing granola, uh, but couldn't be counted out just yet. Right. Uh, made me think about like, you know, uh, third person shooters or like the, the, the melee games, you know, you take out the healer of the team, you take out the team, you know, shout out Overwatch. That's my jam. That was my jam back in the day. Um, Blue seems to be a crazy jump in power because it's important to note that right before he instantly transmitted uh, with gas to that other planet, he was keeping up with them in terms of speed. Whereas the chapter before, like nobody could keep up with Berserker gas, right? Now, another thing I had in terms of the gas fixation on Goku, like, was gas ascended as well was this his first time hitting ascension you know moving past berserker or did he did that also happen in the bardock fight because we still actually haven't seen any flashbacks for that fight remember monaito was passed out when the fight actually occurred so like you surmise bardock could have gone great ape right uh maybe gas was berserker the whole time or maybe he ascended past berserker we're not 100% sure, and I would like for that answer or for that question to be answered. And then finally, uh, I feel like this instant transmission stuff going from planet to planet or battlefield to battlefield is Goku buying time. I don't know if you got that vibe too, mm-hmm. but it feels like they're buying time. There's a catch me if you can kind of vibe happening here, and maybe they're buying time for Granola to get healed so he can be back in the mix. But we also have to keep in mind that uh, although Gas and Goku are no longer on Planet Serial, the other heaters who I took notes this time, uh, Elec, Maki, and Oil. Maki is the girl, Oil is the fat, uh, the fat heater, but they're mm-hmm. still on that planet too. And to be fair, we don't even know how powerful they are. We know that Gas is the most powerful, but Based on the information we have, the three of them, Elec, Maki, and Oil, could also have the ability to go Berserker. Um, that was it. This was nonstop action. I ain't got no other thoughts, man. That was a good chapter of Super. Good yeah, level man. of violence. Good level of plot. Good just everything. Story-wise, art-wise, it was just fantastic. Definitely worth the wait every month. Yeah, man, I agree. I, I thought it was a good chapter. I mean, Super's been especially re, re, uh, here recently, uh, it's been really good. Yeah. In my opinion, it's been yeah. really, really good um, lately. I think we've just, you know, it's just been very consistent. And what else could you ask for? You know, that's all you should, really should ask for out of your manga is just a little consistency. Yep. And, you know, I'll say, like I tell anybody that'll ask me, like the manga is better than anime. I hate to say it, but it is a true. Oh, 100%. Um. You know, so hopefully during this time off, like they'll get a chance to 
grab more of these arcs from the uh, the manga because the manga really has been going crazy lately. It'd be foolish to think otherwise or even say otherwise would be a lie. Yeah. Um, with that said, let's jump over to uh, the combat sports section. So there was some boxing that was on, some UFC. Uh, yeah, so I'll just get into that. We Before had, you do, I do have to make a comment, and this is related to one of the UFC fights, but it's got to be hard to be a fighter in this day and age of the meme. Like, whew. We have yeah. to understand, too, with fighters, it's like these people train hard for just to step into their respective rings, whether it's an octagon, uh, octagon or your standard boxing ring. And, you know, a fight is a fight. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. And sometimes the way they lose is by knockout. And although memes are funny, it's like, man, that's that's tough because, like, you, they get associated with that meme. They could be immortalized by that meme, but it like takes away from how much hard work went into just getting to that fight. And it's, I'm just saying, it's hard, man. It's got to be hard to just be a fighter. Yeah, man. In the meme, in the meme era, that's all I'm gonna say. Social media is a is a it's a mug, man, for real. Yeah. yeah. Um, jumping into the combat sports, first thing I'm gonna cover. Uh, I pretty much just caught mostly main events. Um, this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of have some other things going on, moving the gym and, yeah. you know, doing some things with the wife and stuff. So just didn't really get a chance to catch everything. But I caught most of the, you know, I caught I caught what was on the headline. You mm-hmm. feel me? Mm-hmm. Um, so we got Jaime Munguia uh, pretty much had a, a, a homecoming performance uh, against a guy named Demetrius Ballard. Uh, he stopped him in the third round. He was having his, uh, his homecoming fight in Tijuana. Mm. Uh, man, in the first round, it looked pretty good for Demetrius. You know, just working, nothing really going on. Just a lot of jabs, a lot of guys trying to fill each other out, see what other guy is. Um, nothing really, but I kind of gave that first round to Ballard. Uh, the second round. Little bit of the same, but it seemed like Jaime Munguia kind of just put the gas on just a little bit more, just added just a little bit more pressure. Um, and then that third round, he pretty much knew where this guy was and got to him. And in the middle of them trying to throw a combination, he hits him with a very just one, two, three, bow, hits him with this hook that pretty much puts his ear on his shoulder. And mm. yeah, man, that pretty much stops Ooh, the fight. That's uh, so I, Jaime Munguia did not show up there to get uh he wasn't getting no overtime last yeah. night. And he obviously knew that they must have told him that before he went out there because he went and got the job done. And yeah, you know, to get the job done like that uh at home, you know, it was just a good look, man. Right. It was a good look. I mean, this this hook sent this dude's mouthpiece flying, like Whew. rumors say that mouthpiece is still flying to this day. All like Bobby Schmurder's hat. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, so that pretty much was what happened with Jaime Munguia versus Demetrius Ballard. So congratulations to Jaime Munguia, who is a young kid with a very huge record. He is now 25 years old and he is 39 and 0 with now 31 KO. Wait, uh, is that 39 professional bouts? Yes. I'm sorry, how? How? At 25? 25 years old. I'm not making this up. I'm legitimately like, I'm not kidding. 
Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he gets busy, man. Talk about active. How do you I have mean, more talk- fights than your, your age, dude? Like, I don't. He's <laughs> fighting, you know, the, the kid has been fighting pretty much at a clip of like, like four or five times a year since 2013. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, so he's fighting a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that likes to likes to be busy, likes to be active. You know, he's moved up weight classes uh, pretty much throughout his career. You know, mm-hmm. he debuted at 138. Then, you know, he moved up to 42. Um, and then he pretty much was like at welterweight for a little while at 47, hanging around at 50, you know, and now these days he's, you know, fighting at middleweights. Like, you know, 160, he came into this fight, I think, like, 159 and a half, maybe in a quarter pounds. So, yeah, you know, uh, but congratulations to him for, uh, you know, getting another winning another quick bout, getting another uh, W and getting another KO. So he's now, like I said, 39 and 0 with 31 uh, KOs to his name. That's why more often than not, you're going to hit the floor, you know? Right. right. Um, then we also had Amir Khan versus Kell Brook which was a fight that pretty much uh, off and on has kind of been a hotter feud. I felt like this fight really should have happened a few years ago. Hmm. Um, But regardless, it finally was able to take place over in the UK. It's a huge domestic fight for those guys over there because both guys are from the UK as well. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately for, excuse me, unfortunately for Amir Khan, he was, uh, he was stopped in uh, six rounds mm. by Kell Brook. Uh, Kell Brook just looked good, man. Um, you know, he just just boxed. He was patient. You know, right. it was pretty much came down to who just had retained their skills a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is as being as respectful as possible. You know, both of these guys, neither of these guys are in their prime anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little bit past that, you know, kind of in the twilight of their careers, like, you know, in mid-30s, mid to upper 30s. And these are guys who have fought one world titles and things like that. So um, I, on a, a completely personal level, was a little bit gutted just to see Amir Khan take that loss. Not that I had a real stock in either side, but I knew that Amir Khan had been working with Terrence Crawford, who was who is a fighter I'm a huge fan of. So mm-hmm. I was hoping that kind of would have got him over that hump. Um, but unfortunately, uh, he wasn't able to, uh, you know, he wasn't able to pull that off overall. It just, you know, it started out being a, a thing about, uh, Kale Brook being patient and finding his timing. And pretty much once he found his timing, he, that was it, uh, it was right. kind of, it was almost one way traffic, man. You know, they landed about the same amount of jabs, but amount of strikes landed, amount of strikes thrown, you know, but landed percentage, jabs thrown, all of that, you know, pretty much even if you didn't see the fight and you just looked at the numbers, it would tell you who won. Right. You know, when Kell Brook is, is uh, landing at a 42% clip, you know, overall, what do you want him to do? Mm-hmm. You know, how you, when, and you're landing at 28%, you know, it's just the math is already there. If you're getting hit 42% of the time and I'm only getting hit 28% of the time, like, right, right, you know, right, how right. else can it go? But yeah, 
Yeah, Kelbrook just was able to box him. He was able to really kind of keep that right hand on him, really kind of keep that right hand in his face. And, um, you know, he wobbled Amir Khan multiple times, and eventually he was, like I said, he was able to stop him. So six rounds in, that was that. And, uh, you know, there's maybe one or two, maybe three more decent-sized fights on the horizon for Kelbrook, and I personally think he should just ride out in the sunset, man, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had a good career, um, has some ups, has some downs, but, you know, he's had a career that he can be proud of, had a career a lot of guys would be proud to have, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And he's one of those people who's reached the mountaintop. He's won a world title. And there are some guys who will box their entire career and never win a world championship. True. You know? Yeah. So he's 35 years old, 40 and three you know, with 28 KOs, that's respectable. And a former world champion. So, it's pretty much that. Then we have uh, the UFC. We had a fight night last night between Johnny Walker and Jamal Hill. Uh, did you catch any of those fights last night, TJ? I did not catch any of those fights. I was uh, over at the Total Fight Challenge in Cicero. Um, sure, for sure. Interesting event. I'll say that. Very interesting event. A for lot sure. of local talent, different type of format, but uh, energy was dope. But yeah, no, That's please, cool. let's get into this fight night, man. Yeah, man. I uh, I was only able to get into the main event just in terms of my timing, getting to and from uh, all the different things I was doing yesterday. This right. actually ended up being uh, a card where the co-main event got bumped up to the main event where we had, uh, this was supposed to be Dos Anjos versus... Uh, Fazayev. Mm-hmm. And we ended up getting Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill. Um, good. It was a good fight on paper. From what I understand, I looked over some of the highlights, but I don't want to go too crazy about the highlights for the card overall, other than <laughs> Joaquin Buckley came out there with uh, the dust guy and oh. he was able to pull off a decision. So, you know, ultimately it, it kind of sucked, but I wasn't super mad at it simply for the fact that you know, in this day and age with social media and stuff like that, it's good for him, man. It's good right. for everybody that was involved. Right. From a marketing um, standpoint, you're right. right. I'm just From like... Standpoint. But I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had Jim Miller. He went out there, went out against uh, Nicholas Moda. You know, a younger guy who's 12 and 4. Jim Miller, man, you want to talk about a dude that's been around 34 and 16. Mm. Um, Jim Miller has fought just about everybody. 50 fights? Je- oh, yeah. Yeah. Jim Miller has fought just about everybody. Mm. 34-16, won no contest. Um, you know, and from what I understand, you know, pulled off pretty impressive TKO victory last night, um, which pretty much catapulted him into a you know, Hall of Fame status where he is tied with Donald Cerrone for wins and finishes, you know, in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So the and these are also guys that are like lifers. You know what I'm saying? These are guys right. that have been been either in the UFC, the WEC or wherever, but they've been USC adjacent, UFC adjacent for quite some time. Right. Um, we had Parker Porter pull off a decision over Alan Badeau. And then uh, we had Kyle Dawkins in the co-main event fighting against uh, 
Jamie Pickett, he also was able to pull out a victory, pulls off a submission literally with one second left at the end of yeah, the first round. Yeah, I saw that round. buzzer beater. Buzzer beater, man. What It's got to suck, but he pulled yeah. it off. You know, I don't judge anybody who taps, man, because I That's don't know what, what that pressure is like or what it feels like. Yeah. It's called a submission for a reason. Right. Um, but what I did catch was the main event. So what we had was our main event was Jamal Hill versus Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, Brazilian guy, huge, huge guy. Um, pretty much very early on was being touted as like the future of really the 205-pound division, uh, future of light heavyweight. Kind of came in with that class of like guys like him, Yuri Prochaska, uh, Dominic Reyes, people like that. They were kind of that next sort of wave of 205ers. And to be honest, he kind of hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Um, he came in on the contender series and he was able to pull off a, a decision victory, comes in, beats Khalil Roundtree in his debut with a crazy elbow, um, wins like a, a back wins with another TKO in the first round in his very next fight with like some kind of crazy back fist. Then he does a flying knee to counter uh Misha Serkinov, which was crazy. Mm. Um, TKO's him in the first round so it's like okay three first round finishes and then he gets stopped in the first round by Corey Anderson mm. which was like wow nobody had that on their bingo card right you know yeah yeah then he returns home to Brazil and he has a fight against Nikita Krylov and he loses a decision at home tough comes back fights Ryan Spann back to his first round TKO ways gets another first round stoppage you know elbows and punches then he fought Tiago Santos which also was another interesting fight pretty exciting fight and uh he loses that five round decision and then he came back and he fought Jamal Hill Jamal Hill is a newer face to 205 a pretty younger guy 30 years old Chicago Illinois so you know you got a root for the hometown guy. Right. Uh, nicknamed Sweet Dreams. This dude came in with a very, very humble record. He was coming into this fight nine and one, having only recently lost his first fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had lost against Paul Craig, who was able to submit him in the first round. And, you know, even afterwards, you know, the guys were very respectful. They were friendly. And uh, he was coming off of a performance of the night. Uh, first round KO of Jimmy Crute that he had back in December. Mm-hmm. You know, so he kind of, you know, he was able to bounce right back. And, you know, just being the guy with a little bit less experience, honestly, he was kind of expected to lose this fight. I'm not going to lie. You know, yeah. that was what the expectation was. You know, he was favored to lose. And, um, you know, that is not how it played out. He was, yet again, another person this fight ended in the first round, and I, that kind of seems to be Johnny Walker's thing. He going to live by the sword or die by it in that first. Right. And um, Jamal Hill was able to KO him with some punches in that first round. And it was a very interesting fight to watch, just kind of the way that it played out. Mm-hmm. Because there was a lot of feelers, but it just, you really got the feeling that Jamal Hill, and they even kind of made a mention of this uh on the broadcast, he really wanted to hurt this guy. It seemed like everything he was throwing at Johnny Walker was like with the worst intent possible. Mm. Um, and if you were able to see any of the media, I don't really blame him, you know, if that was his energy. Oh. You know, the guy brought his son up here uh, to, he brought his son out to see him fight and 
all that, you know, you don't want to get KO'd in front of your kid. Right. Your son, you bring your, you know, bring your son to work and your job is to fight. You damn well better win. Right. You know? Right. And um, he did was a good there, job. Was there any uh, bad blood leading up to it? Like media no, conferences? No, 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 no. Like there was no, no bad, bad blood. blood I'm just saying just from the standpoint of bringing your son to the fights and, you right. know, he was getting a decent amount of media coverage because this was a main event. Right. Um, And Johnny Walker... Uh, knowing his style is very explosive, you know, likes to, if you give him space, let him move around, let him think, he'll make you pay. And mm-hmm. obviously Jamal Hill had, you know, he watched the tape. Mm-hmm. He knew that. And for the majority of this fight, he was pushing him back. He just kept pressing, kept pressing, kept pressing until something was open. And, uh, you know, during an exchange, he hits him with a very hard, I, I believe it was a right hook puts him right down and he just runs after him, gets after him, gets maybe one or two punches and that's it, man. The referee gets in there and um, that's the end of the fight and the end of the first round. So, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see where Jamal Hill will go from here because he could very well be, you know, 50-50 guys, something like that. You know, you never know. It's always, it's it's hard to tell with, with these things because fighting is, you know, world of the unexpected, man. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is this is uh, another ep- upset for him as far as he's concerned because he, uh, you know, this is a guy who has a win over Ovin St. Prue. Oh. What? Yeah. Jamal Hill TKO'd Ovin St. Prue, like I back in 2020. I did not know that. Yeah, oh. so he's got, you know, he, he has something on his resume. He's just, he's very young in his fighting career, but... It, you know, clearly he's taking to it. I mean, you know, 11 fights into his professional career, he's main eventing a, a, a show for the UFC. Right, right. So congratulations to uh, Jamal Hill, man, who, you know, really he's just been doing his job, man, did the work. And, you know, hopefully he has more, you know, more success coming to him going forward. Hopefully, uh, also, Johnny Walker can bounce back from this and, you know, he yeah. can find some success for himself as well. Yeah. Uh, just because for me, more than anything else, I just look at the finishes. Mm-hmm. And I just look at a guy getting stopped and it's not almost great. all of his losses, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, if you look through his record, his first loss was a TKO punches 2014, you know, and mm-hmm. he gets a submission. He got submitted. Back in 2015, then KO'd again in 2016, TKO'd again in 2019, you know, and then KO'd again last night. And granted, these are spaced out, but there's very little we know about brain trauma. But the one thing exactly. we do know is despite, you know, how long ago it was or what the time frame in between the brain trauma is, it is still brain trauma. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Uh, TJ, do you have any final thoughts or do you want to jump over into... Some topic of our the week. question of the week. Quiet topic of the week. Question of the week. Let's go into uh, our final section, man. Let's All do right, it. man. You go ahead. You answer the question. Topic of the week. Favorite right. anime slash manga villain. All right. So as Matt just said, our topic of the week. Now, <clears throat> this is going to be a bit of a spoiler for Tokyo Avengers. Uh, if you only saw season one of the anime. It's what it is. If you spoiler are alert, not, we spoil it at all. If you're not it. caught up with the manga, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe you just skip ahead to the conclusion of this episode, or you can skip to Matt's part if you will. But I don't know. Or, Matt's part or might have spoilers too. If you are, too. bro, if you like me, 
Go ahead and take the spoiler. And then just go ahead and enjoy if the you show. Hard, still. If you hard, if you tough, you know, you just push through it. Here's the spoiler. You already been enjoying the show. Oh my goodness. You probably ain't even watched the fights last night, and I told you about that. So don't even worry about it. All right. All right. Shout out. Shout out to all those of you who stay hard in these streets, right? But okay. My best anime manga villain is going to be Kisaki Teta from Tokyo Revengers. Okay. Now, why am I going to choose Kisaki? Um, from the jump, this dude was a, a menace. He was a menace. <laughs> <laughs> he was a menace. Like, he's one of those villains that isn't just violence. It's also, like, the psychological manipulation. And it's like he's the puppeteer who's controlling others and sending them out to do the dirty work, but he also has no qualms to do it himself. Now, uh, like I said, he was a menace from the jump. His character design makes you hate him. The shiny glasses, his demeanor. Uh, even when he was just a pure nerd, right? He still had this villainy to him. And when I say shiny glasses, the anime trope of, I'm gonna push my glasses up the bridge of my nose and all of a sudden light flashing off the lenses, right? Yeah, and the light um, is gonna reflect off that's, the lens. That's, that's Kisaki all day. Now, uh, his villainy has an interesting origin and in the sense that it's somewhat of a trope in that it's not an uncommon origin, but his villainy was born from the jealousy that he f felt when he saw that Hina, who he went to cram school with, had a crush on Takemichi, right? He, Hina is, uh, or Hinata is Takemichi's girlfriend throughout this entire series, right? Uh, and uh, like I said, she was attending cram school with uh, Kisaki and essentially his whole motivation is that because he was rejected by Hinata and because she loves Takemichi, he's hell bent He's a hater. Boring. That's he's just what bent. it is. Yeah, he's, he's a, a smart he, ass hater. He's hell bent on destroying everything that Takemichi loves, right? And this dude is such a hater and so fucking determined that. Hold on, hold on. I'm sorry, TJ. I just got to interrupt real quick. Go ahead. Let's, let's just, just for anybody who isn't aware, like y'all talking about cram school, all this other shit. Let me just put you, put it in, in perspective for people who don't read Tokyo Revengers, <laughs> don't know anything about this. My man's is doing this over high school. This a high school girl. Oh, They're in it, high I school. I think it's junior high, actually. Like middle They're school, junior, junior high. high. Yeah. Bro is tripping from junior high. I If you think you hold a grudge, <laughs> nah. This man, go ahead, man. I'm just saying. I just, just for just for context, context. It, yeah, yeah, just for context. It um, just needed to be said. I mean, like, he's such a hater, and he's so determined to like one eight seven everything Takemichi loves slash love that even when the past gets altered, right? So remember Tokyo Avengers, at least the first arc. Uh, Naoto Tachibana, Hinata's little brother, is the key to Takemichi's consciousness being able to travel back and forth from the, to the past to the present, right? Right. Now, even when things get altered in the past and it feels like Takemichi has accomplished his mission, Hinata still dies, right? Akun still dies. The future is still dark. Mikey's nowhere to be found. And it's like, it's so discouraging. You see Takemichi and be like, why? Like, like why does this keep happening? And even when the anime ends, and the anime ender, remember how I said, like, uh, Kisaki can do the dirty work himself. You saw that season one ending, you know exactly, 
exactly what I mean. He's the one who pulled that trigger. It's like, ba-blam, right? See you later, Cryberry hero, right? Now, right. it's to the point where this happens so many times, Takemichi's like, yo, is Kisaki himself a time leaper? Like, can this motherfucker also travel through time? Is this why he keeps thwarting everything I do to make sure that everybody I love, everybody who's in my crew can live and just have a future? Turns out, and this kind of is a spoiler for those of you who don't know how Kisaki dies, but like right up to Kisaki's death, at this point, it's like the final confrontation between Kisaki and uh, Takemichi. And this is like after the final battle where Kisaki essentially betrays uh, Tokyo Manjikai and he joins up with uh, the other crew. I can't remember their name, but it's basically like this crew, their whole theme was like being in red, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They wear red clothing and Kisaki just becomes a general for them. Now, this is the final battle uh, and Takemichi chases him down. And at this point, Takemichi's like, I've had it. And he grabs the toolie. He grabs the toolie. Bro, when I tell you that those panels were so cold, by the way, Takemichi has the toolie out and I don't condone gun violence. No one in this podcast condones gun violence. Don't get it twisted. But <laughs> like a little disclaimer. But it was a cold panel. Like, he confronts Kisaki, and he's like, you're a time leaper. You know what Kisaki does? He laughs, and he realizes, he's like, time leaper, and then he makes a connection. This is why my plans keep getting thwarted. Because Kisaki was wondering, like, why is Takemichi always so persistent? Why is he always getting in my way? What's the connection here? What are the dots? What's the common thread? And he was wondering about Takemichi, too, right? right. And... Turns out Kisaki was never a time leaper. The dude was just that petty, that determined, that patient, and that disciplined. Because it came down to this. Yes, he's a hater, but it's like, if I can't have Hinata, nobody can. And that's why she ends up dying no matter how uh, Takemichi had altered the past. It was just Kisaki being that determined. Like, the amount of psychological manipulation, not just in the future, but like how he would insinuate himself and ingratiate himself onto these gangs, manipulate them. Like you saw that with, uh, uh, what was uh, what was that that gang? But it was uh, with a dude called Osunai, right? It was the yeah. gang that um, uh, uh, he is, that, that ended up getting recruited into Toman to increase their numbers for the battle with Valhalla. Kisaki was leading both of those gangs. And how did he lead him? It's because the dude is so smart. He's like, hey, if you just follow my advice, if you take what I have to like, he would approach these. He's like, if you just listen to what I have to say, I promise you, you're going to be the top of whatever region where you're in, right? He would just convince them off of his intelligence. They listen to him and like things would just fall into place. They'd be making headway. They'd be getting more powerful, getting more infamy, right? And he just yeah. insinuates himself in these games. Like he's literally the dude in the shadows, right? It, it's just like he is the perfect first arc villain for this series. Uh, and that's why he was my number one pick for anime manga villain. Uh, who was your runner up? My runner up was, of course, Aizen. I mean, who who can, who like nobody tops Aizen, in my opinion, um, except for Kisaki in this case. Like, I mean, you could, you could easily say Aizen's number one, but I feel like a lot of people would go for Aizen. So I was like, my next step is definitely Kisaki. Um, but just because that first arc of Bleach, I reread Bleach every now and then, and I still get chills at the reveal. It's like, what? You know, he's how powerful? 
like think about how cold Eisen was. They needed him to help defeat Yawak. I've never actually heard his name pronounced. That's I'm just assuming that his name mm-hmm. is pronounced that way. But it's like even like the prison that they put him in couldn't even really hold him. If we're being honest, like Eisen's just letting them do whatever they want, you know. Um, yeah. That's neither here nor there, bro. Who is your best anime or manga villain? All right, man. So I was on the fence with a, a lot of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody who doesn't know or does know or whatever, but I'll make it known. I'm a villain guy. I pull for villains, depending on what their motivations or certain shit are. Not all of them. Like, you know, I ain't fucking with Griffith or nothing like that. Like, I hated Brian Hawk. Oh, shit, shit, I forgot about like, Griffith. <laughs> nah, oh, one. I didn't. <laughs> oh, I did one. not. <laughs> it, it's hard to forget about uh, a true bastard. Um, <laughs> but when I, was, when I was going down to it and I was like, man, is this recency bias? And I was like, nah. And um, ultimately, the answer I came up with, the I think one of the best villains and probably the best villain was Johan Liebert from Monster. I have um, yet to get into Monster. Tell me now. More. If anybody has watched Monster or has not watched Monster, I am going to. I don't give a fuck. We not. No one. Let me just be clear. No one's paying us to promote any anime or anything <laughs> like that. Any manga. None of the none of the things that we express are anyone else's opinions, but our uh-huh. own. Yep. Um. I need. If after right after you listen to this podcast, wherever you're at, whatever time it is, if you are at home or if you got a chance to stop, you need to stop and start watching Monster. Monster is on YouTube. If you don't have any other uh, streaming service, you got YouTube. Just Google. Just look up Monster Anime. The entire show, the whole series is on there. It's like I want to say it's like around 80 plus episodes. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, it may not be 80 plus, but it's it's around it's a decent amount. It's hefty. Mm-hmm. Monster is a in a manga that was eventually turned into an anime that follows uh a doctor named Dr. Kenzo Tenma. Ten uh Tenma is a Japanese man that lives in Germany and he's a surgeon. And Essentially, this I, I just have to give you give you a little bit of background just so you guys can kind of understand like who Johan is and what the problem is. And even in this, like honestly, TJ, if you ever get ever get a chance to like watch it and or read it, and I would honestly, I would say you could watch it or read it because it's it's exact. So there's no difference. But mm-hmm. I think just for consumer sake, you should probably just like watch it. Because it'll it'll take you to some places. It goes really dark, and all these other things. But uh, I digress. So essentially, Tenma uh, Kenzo Tenma is a man, Japanese man that lives in Germany. He's a surgeon, and he's like one of the best surgeons. The guy pretty much has like his life is figured out. He's like the top surgeon at the hospital. He was pretty much like a maverick, uh, like a genius. And because he's super young and basically about to be the head of surgery, Um, he's pretty much right underneath the the head of the hospital. And he's dating his uh, he's actually engaged to that man's daughter. Right. And so in the very beginning, when we're introduced to him, he's kind of put in a situation where he has to choose uh, 
and it's fucked up, but it's the truth. You know, he has to choose whose life he's going to save. Um, where he's put in a situation where there are two cases and he's being pulled in two directions. You know, can you, you're going to save this person, you're going to save this person. They both came in at the same time. Well, saves one person and because uh, they told him, well, these other doctors will do this other surgery. Don't worry about it. Just come with us. Cool, no problem. Um, and it was something that the director want, the director of the hospital wanted him to do. So a, bit, a very important thing to note here is that the director of the hospital where Kenzo uh, Tenma works, he's all about like the pub, how good it's going to look. You know, if we save this person, this person is an important person. We'll get donations, this is that and the third. Not really so much as worried about the everyman. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so Tenma saved this guy, believing this other person would be saved, and he he died. And um, there's a scene where Tenma comes into contact with that man's wife, and she's like, hey, are you uh, the doctor? He's like, yeah. She was like, why didn't you save my husband? And that haunts them, mm-hmm. uh, as it would haunt anybody. Right, and. Right. He gets into another situation where, and it, here's where we get Johan. Here's our introduction to Johan. We just don't know it. Mm-hmm. There's two people that are being called in at the same time. So what happened was he was called to one job first and he went to that one and the director wanted him to do save the other person. So he left and that person died. He gets a call. A child has been shot in the head and but the kid is still alive and he has an opportunity to save this kid's life mm-hmm. gets to the hospital, all this. He's like, man, you know what? All right. I think I can pull this off. This is what I'll do. Well, the mayor gets in a car accident that same night. Who are they calling? They call Tenma. Literally. And right after he scrubs in, he's about to literally walk into the surgery. They're like, Hey, hey, hey we need you to save the mayor. He refuses to leave this time because he keeps thinking about what happened last time with the woman. Yeah, yeah. Well, it uh, turns out the mayor goes on to die, but he saves the kid's life. The kid, after waking back up from his fatal headshot uh, wound and subsequent surgery, he disappears. Sorry, what? Yeah, he and so another thing I forgot to I kind of forgot to mention, this show is very dense. Right after this kid is saved, he's brought in with a girl, his twin sister. They both disappear. Turns out what ends up happening is, and I'm just going to kind of give a blanket thing as a spoiler. These two were twins that were separated and one was a boy, one was a girl that was put into a program. And the program that they were put into was, hmm, I'm just going to simplify it. It was a program to try to create the next Hitler. And Excuse me? Yeah. Johan was put into a program that was built essentially to create a sec- the second coming of Hitler and start everything all over again. Uh, a complete nihilist, somebody who is, you know, virtually devoid of, Emotion. Uh, Yeah, emotion and, you know, worrying about empathy and things like that. And what happened was he not only passed all these trials, he passed them with flying colors to the point that he couldn't be controlled, not even by them. And this dude essentially terrorizes Europe. (laughs) Holy shit. Um, But terrorizes Europe 
And while he's doing that, he has framed Kenzo Tenma. So when Tenma saved his life as a child, he returns 10 years later and frames Tenma for murder. And Tenma is then on the run. So the majority of the show is Tenma on the run, trying to catch Johan to prove his innocence and Johan essentially burning Europe down. Crap, dude. With a bunch of other characters in between. So and a the, lot monst- of other things. the monster is Johan, I'm guessing. <laughs> Partially, but they kind of make you question. There's a lot of things. They The theme of what a monster is, is run throughout the entire show. I mean, hey, it's called monster, but. It's, I'm guessing it like it, it make it, it's one of those things that makes you question, right? And yeah, there's a like, lot of I'm, things I'm, that come up about morality, right? I'm or assuming wrong. like uh, Kenzo does a few things that make you question, like whether or not he could potentially be a monster, or at least see no. That every- the thing is, can he? He has to become a monster because it gets to a point where he's actually not going to be able to like prove himself. He's really just going to have to kill this guy, right? And the question becomes, can this man? kill another man can he become a monster and take a life right um so that that's kind of always the question because pretty much what tens tenma's whole thing is is while he's on the run it's kind of like uh it's like bruce banner sort of Mm -hmm. Um, but not in the sense of like there's a hulk on the other side just in the sense of like you know whenever you see bruce banner in comics and shit hitchhiking he's hitchhiking he's on the low you know he's on the run but Whenever he finds a place where he can like set up shop, he's usually just helping people. Yeah. And that's essentially the case for Tenma while he's on the run. Like he, you know, they follow a bunch of different stories within him, a bunch of stories with him and his character and things he's doing while he's on the run and some other characters. But ultimately, man, like there was a situation give you some context on Johan just to go back into his villainous ways and not really to make this about monster. Johan instigated a situation at the orphanage where he was staying, the orphanage that was, you know, trying to create Hitler. Mm-hmm. He instigated a situation where there was an uprising and ultimately a battle between all of the staff at the orphanage and all of the kids at the orphanage. <laughs> and everyone died except him. Oh, shit. He, cre- he instigated the situation in... That was how he got out. He made everybody kill each other and he left. <laughs> so it's it's a lot of things that happen. It's things that kind of involve child soldiers. It's stuff that, you know, involves abuse of all different types. It's so many things that go into it. Alcoholism, paranoia, mm-hmm. you know, and morality. Um, I, overall, I would I recommend Monster 10 times out of 10. It's not for everybody, though. Um, mm-hmm. Not only just because of the themes, but this is not a shonen. This is not a battle yeah, no, shonen. This is, this is 100% not seinen. It is incredibly seinen. grounded. It is incredibly grounded, and it becomes uh, a very psychological kind of anime. Uh, mm-hmm. The later you get into it, especially as it relates to the other characters that they begin to introduce, um, and everything. This is another one of those things where like everything matters. It's you know, it's a, a thriller. It's a drama. You know, there's always there is some action, but if you're looking for battles and things like that, that's not going to happen. This is very story driven, very much dialogue driven. A lot of, you know, a lot of very, very, very good character work is done throughout this uh, this anime It's 74 episodes. I just looked it up, but Mm -hmm. every episode is worth it. It hits. 
I would say maybe a bit of a lull right at the beginning, but right after the story establishes itself, it never lets you go. Mm. You just have to give it an opportunity to root itself. Once you understand all the stakes and what's going on, it's gone. Mm. And you're you're in for a ride. So, but I picked Johan just because, man, this dude was just a monster. And he, I mean, you know, no pun intended, but he thwarted Kenzo at so many turns. And ultimately, Tenma wasn't even the one that was able to that killed him. Yeah. In the end. Okay. And and Tenma saves his life again at the end of the manga. And he does, I mean, at the end of the series, and he disappears again after he is saved. And it's like, y'all did not learn y'all lesson, but right. whatever. But I, I went with uh, Johan. Two very close ones for me were Eisen and Frieza. Mm-hmm. Um, Frieza these days has kind of been, anti-hero. I guess you could say a little whitewashed. Yeah, he's yeah. been a little bit more of an anti hero. He's been used a lot more comedic, but dude. When I was a kid, I hated Frieza. Mm-hmm. Even like coming up, it was just like Frieza was another character that to me, well, you know what? No, I'm just gonna speak about it straight out. Frieza was one of those characters that went on with like those racial stereotypes and those undertones and stuff. And there was yeah. like it was hate. I mean, Frieza has been called online. They've called him Purple Hitler. You know what I'm saying? This is yeah. a dude who wiped out a race. Like he just committed genocide for fun, and that's something that's like. And most other anime and manga and stuff like that's kind of like used as like, oh, it's just a stat to kind of help you understand how strong a character is. But they really kind of characterize a person who not only does this, but enjoys doing this, enjoys, you know, seeing these races and people like that disappear. And like, I just didn't like, obviously, you know, I ain't like seeing him kill my boy Vegeta. Right. But just like that whole Namek art, everything about him was like, this dude is just fucking evil. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no good about this guy. There's no, you know, I mean, and there wasn't any. There's no good in this dude. Like, even when Goku tried to save this dude's life, he uses the energy this man gives him so he doesn't die to throw an attack. And it's like, dude, what the hell? Yeah. Like, what yeah. is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, And then obviously Eisen for Eisen reasons. You know, <laughs> yeah. when you find out that essentially. It's all part of my plan. Yeah. Dude, when you find out essentially your whole a character that you're led to believe means nothing, orchestrated the entirety of the show that you just got through watching. That messes what? with What? Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, every single thing that's happened to you has happened because of me. Not yeah. like by happenstance, not like I didn't know I wanted this it to was happen. This is how it happened. Yeah. It was me. It was Mooney. Like he, yeah. this dude was like Kaiser Soze, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it was yeah. me the whole time. Yeah. Like that shit was insane. Uh, somebody else that was up there for me for a while. Sorry not to take it over and take this into a thing, but another person that was up there for me for a while was like Madara. But mm. given how things eventually played out for Madara, yeah. which is not any fault of his own, but more or less just kind of how they how he was written because he wasn't the last guy. Right. Um, I thought Madara was the one up until. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, she who must not be named showed up. Yeah, piece of shit. But, <laughs> but yeah, man, that was my uh, that's my villain. You got any any final thoughts for why wrap us up? Uh, no, let's just get into the wrap up, man. All right, man. Um, we appreciate you guys for listening. Just so you guys know, we are now officially also on YouTube. 
Just so you know, our YouTube will be featuring YouTube exclusive content. Uh, we will be throwing content up there that is not going to be covered on a, uh, on a podcast, which will include manga reviews as well as our favorite screen caps. So we have that visual component as well. But Topics we of are the week. Re- huh? I'm sorry? Topics of the week as well. Yeah, the topics of the week are the only thing from the podcast that will be transferred over. Outside of that, everything else will be exclusive. So far right now, we have TJ doing reviews of... Tokyo Revengers and One Punch Man. Uh, currently on there, and I will be reviewing some other manga of my own soon. Also be on the lookout for a full-on review I'm going to be doing of Fire Force, which is going to be ending in about two more weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably take about two weeks, get my notes and everything together, and, uh, you know, I'd say probably sometime before the end of March, we'll have a full review of Fire Force up on YouTube. That sounds doable, right, TJ? Yeah, that sounds I, doable. Yeah, That sounds hella doable. Yeah. So next week, what we will be covering is we have uh, Bobby Green versus Islam Makachev in terms of the UFC. Um, we got a few other fighters on that card. So that's going to be a very interesting contest to see. If you remember, we have Bobby Green taking on Islam Makachev on, you know, basically 10 days notice. Mm-hmm. Um, he just which fought is, uh, hot press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He fought Kelvin Gaslam's uh, shadow. <laughs> and, you know, he was able to pull it off. Hey, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Pulled it yeah. off. Yeah. Um, so we got that. And then next week, we also on the boxing side, we have Josh Taylor defending uh, his undisputed junior welterweight titles against Jack Catterall. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be in Scotland. And that I personally believe is going to be a really uh, interesting fight just because Josh Taylor just very recently became the unified champion, the undisputed champion. And um, this is going to be his first title defense. And it's pretty much in his hometown. Um, He's called, you know, the Tartan Tornado Scottish guy. He's fighting in Glasgow, Scotland, you know, 12, big 12 round fight. Uh, I think this is going to be huge for him. Mm -hmm. Um, We also more so on the American side, we have uh, Chris Colbert. He's going to be fighting Hector Luis Garcia, uh, and a title eliminator, hopefully, for a chance to get uh, the junior lightweight title. Uh, Chris Colbert is a guy from New York, pretty popular dude. Uh, Brooklyn, to be specific, very early on was known as uh, Little B-Hop in reference to Bernard Hopkins because he fought similar mm-hmm. uh, similar to him. This kid also had a, a Netflix documentary. He wasn't necessarily the star of, but he definitely gained a lot of popularity from. Um, so... You know, hopefully he'll get a chance to do that because this guy's a star, man. He's uh, poised to, you know, have a good opportunity right in front of him, get a chance to, you know, really pull something off. You know, we got some stuff going on on the zone as well. We got Lawrence O'Quali, uh defending his cruiserweight title against uh, Michael Sisliak. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be on the 27th, which is like a Sunday. It's going to be weird. Uh, but... We got a lot of combat sports going on next week. As far as our manga, what we got going, it's going to be a little bit of a mixed bag. We will be getting Hajime no Ippo. Um, We will be getting Sakamoto Days. We will have the return of Ayashiman, thankfully. Um, Mm -hmm. As you guys know, Dragon Ball Super is only once a month, and it comes out on the 20th, so we won't be covering that again until until March. March. Uh, We got Jujutsu Kaisen that also will be dropping that we'll cover next week. We also have My Hero Academia dropping. 
and we will be taking a short hiatus from uh, Kaiju number eight because Kaiju number eight has recently changed over to uh, every two week format. So uh, Kaiju number eight does not drop again until March the 3rd. So you won't get it in this episode, in the next episode, but the episode after. Okay. And we also will have another topic of the week for you guys. TJ, mm-hmm. you got any final thoughts? Uh, thank you for checking us out. Thank you for rocking with us. Keep listening. Keep rating us. We appreciate you so much. Uh, lastly, too, in terms of accessing our YouTube page, if you go to our Instagram bio at NowMindYouPod, uh, please don't hesitate to click the link in that bio. It will take you to all of our platforms or the social media, give you our email address, so on and so forth, which is like NowMindYouPod at gmail.com, by the way. Uh, shameless plug. But no, thank you so much for the support. We appreciate you. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week. You can reach us respectively, me at tus4 underscore skate. That's T-U-S-S-4 underscore S-K-A-T-E. Matt, they can reach you where? Uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere on at M-A-T-T-H-A-M-B-R-I-C, at Matt Hambrick, pretty much everywhere. Again, follow us, Now Mind You Podcast. We're pretty much Now Mind You Pod. Wherever you want to look for us, you'll probably find us there. And that, that, that about does it. Thanks, everybody. Peace out. Peace out.